welcome to Moralia Python Radio with your hosts, Eric Burke and Owen McIntyre. Good evening, Morelia Heads. Uh, as you have noticed, Eric normally does this part of the show, but Eric <laughs> had a little bit of a... He's not here today. So as always, whenever one of the show uh, hosts is uh, MIA, uh, dead on arrival, missing in action, can't find him, we always call upon our good friend, the keeper of the buddy bear, uh, Mr. Rob Stone. Rob, how are you? Owen. Yes. Oh, my God. Can you hear me? (laughs) Owen. Yes. Owen? Yes. <laughs> this is exciting. <laughs> this is horrible. God damn it. <laughs> it shouldn't be that damn hard. Uh, see, this is what happens when he leaves me. You got me now? That's it. No. That's not right. <laughs> Who's oh, that? hey, how's it going, Rob? <laughs> this is Tony. Good, this, is this uh, Tony? Revision Reptile. Oh, Tony. Hey, man, yeah. how are you? We're having a, a bit of uh, technical difficulties here, but uh, hey, I was getting, hopefully a, we'll I was get getting a kick out. out of it on my drive home. Right on, man. So what's going on <laughs> with you? Where are you? Where are you at again? Are you in Cal? Are you in California? I'm in Southern California. I'm actually in Oceanside, which is north of uh, San Diego. Oh, right on. All right. What have you done? Because <laughs> <So>, <laughs> <laughs> now I'm no back problem. here. I'm going to put you back on mute, Tony. <laughs> no problem. Have a good one, guys. <laughs> what the hell is going on? Because <laughs> he's going to blame me for this. <laughs> no, I think it's great. Just so everyone out there knows, Rob's running the board here. So when Eric gets mad next week, it's all it my fault. Not for sure. Not my fault. So, all right, we're back. I can hear okay, you. Good. You can hear me. Jesus Christ. Okay. <laughs> Who was that? <laughs> so that was Tony. <laughs> I just saw another number there. I wanted to log me back in, and I, I said. Hey, well, we'll see who it is. So oh that was fun. Um, 
All right, man. All right. So I don't know where uh, where you were at uh, in your spiel. You were saying that Eric isn't here and that the show's going off and the you. rails, and that's certainly the case. It's, it's completely – it's gone now. I mean, I, you know, the little bit of nervousness that I had is now completely shattered because it already it, – it, it, <laughs> we can only go up from here, right? So – I think so. I think so. God damn it. All right. So All right. I know so, – <laughs> Cody was going to come on to talk about Southeast Carpet Fest. Did he yes. send you that number? Got... He did not. Okay. So we are, we are on. Oh, he did not. He did not. So we're on the Hold lookout on. for Cody uh, when he messages okay. me. Um, I did ask him what that number was, but until then, we can talk about the news for a little bit. Uh, I told him to give us about five, ten minutes to talk about, you know, stuff happening in the reptile community and, and then give us a shout and then uh, – after we're done with Cody, real quick thing, we'll get Vin on. Um, and I'm not sure what number Vin's calling from either. So it's like, <laughs> it could get worse is what I'm I'll saying. Stuff, so, yeah, whatever. <laughs> we'll be all right. We'll come through. Yeah. <laughs> so what's right, the so news? Cody, what's fit to print, man? Uh, Cody's calling from the 352 number. Okay. Um. What we got for the news is obviously there's numerous carpet fests that are starting to pop up. We obviously have the one uh, down in the southeast. We're going to talk to Cody about that one today. I believe the one of the the southwest um, debuted their T-shirt and their dates and all that fun stuff. And I will get that for you guys uh, periodically. So that's happening. Uh, and then a lot of stuff I'm seeing is. Uh, I was surprised that we kind of got some eggs already appearing on my Facebook feed from people out here. So uh, I guess breeding season is in full swing. Right on, man. Yeah. So. And you got locks and stuff? I have some you locks know, you, and what, stuff. You threw up some white lip stuff, right? Yeah. Um, it looks good. looks promising. Well, he was spurring the hell out of her. So, yeah. Awesome. And then the female, they were separated today because, like, the, he was, she was in the hide and he wasn't, but she's deep blue, so I don't know what the hell that means. Um, and we'll see. And it was the Southwest Carpet Fest, and theirs is going to be July 29th um, at Brian Cusco's place, which is uh, Triple B. I think it's his name. But their t-shirt's hilarious because it's got a picture of Eric on it. <laughs> I'm doing like a thumbs up Fonzie kind of deal, and I'm like, dear God, Hi. that's that's funny as hell. So, um, yeah, so that's another one, Certainly and then there'll probably be one of those. I think, of course. I mean, Jim Jim can buy his own T-shirt, but um, that's. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, other than that, dude, it's like uh, we're getting we're getting around to it. So obviously, we're going to have the Northwest is going to contact us about theirs, and then the Southern Carpet Fest is going to get theirs off the ground. And it's like all of a sudden it's going to be rapid fire. So it's uh, really cool to have all this stuff. And then there's the UK one now too. So Yeah, I mean, that's Nuts. totally that, – that's that one, yeah, super exciting. I, <laughs> it's a bit impractical, you know, for, for us, especially on a short time frame, you know, just mm. for a weekend or whatever. But it's uh, definitely awesome, and I certainly – certainly wish it could be in the cards for me i was just over there a couple six months ago or something like that but um yeah certainly i wish that timing would have worked because it's uh it's going to be awesome no doubt 
that that does look cool and i mean you know and you know we're talking and we've already picked a date for hours and eric and i are trying to we we have to meet up and do some stuff and talk about how we're going to play ours out because we kind of want to do some things a little bit different this year um but it's like ours, you know, we say June, like it's really far away. It isn't, it'll be here before know, we know right? it. And then, and then we're totally screwed. So, uh, yeah. I, I, I'm I, already booked um, up, man. So, uh, yeah. maybe I'll finally get to see your spot. I'll do this open invitation now on air. If you're coming for Northeast Carpet Fest and you want to see my stuff before we have Carpet Fest at Eric's, let me know. I'll have whoever wants to come over the Friday before Carpet Fest during the day before we go down to Eric's for dinner. So, Rob, that is like especially labeled to you, sir, but you're not allowed to look at my rhino rat snakes because I fear you may judge me <laughs> and my, you know, my rhino rat snakes. So, you know, everything you're else is fine. Stuff? Those are uh-huh. awesome. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> you monster. Yeah, that's normal. <laughs> so, <laughs> but no, oh, a- anybody who wants to come, just give me a heads up. Do not just show up to my house, please. <laughs> um, it's, didn't think I'd have to throw that out there, but you know, yeah, come on. Anybody wants to come check out my stuff, that's cool. Um, and then, yeah, the wall head down to Carpet Fest. I had a few people over last Carpet Fest, and it was like, you guys want to come see my stuff? Really? Why? Oh, I guess. Cool. You know, I see him every day. So it's, yeah, you just got to let me know. Yeah. Otherwise, uh, anyone un, uh, unexpected or, you know, unannounced will just be pushed down the murder hill in your backyard. So that is the, that, that's why I have that hill. It, people don't know. It is for intruders and uh, Mike Curtin's children who are just death defying. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh, gosh. But we're trying to figure out something because uh, Mike Curtin wants to set up a fishing trip after Carpet Fest, and then uh, Eric wanted to do some kind of herping and stuff, so we got to figure that out too. So it's it's like this is getting ridiculous. <laughs> I don't know how much time I'm going <laughs> right? to work. You know, Christ. <laughs> right on. Well, it looks like we yep. have Cody, so let me uh, let me hit him on click him on and. Cody, is that you? Yes, sir. Hey, man, how you doing? Good, man. How are you guys? Uh, as you can tell, it's a clusterfuck around here. But what are you gonna do? So, um, <laughs> oh so, man, you know, that just sounds like a that sounds like nor- a normal day around here. <laughs> there you go. So you know where we're coming yeah. from. But um, I do. So how's stuff going for uh, Southeast? I mean, how you guys prepping was? Well, you know, Ian and Pia and their, and their whole crew, there are a lot of other names that, um, that uh, you know, I, I don't know, but I will when they're here because I'm just not on the, uh, on the message group for, for all that. I'm, I'm trying mm-hmm. to stay focused around here, preparing the property for um, everything and, and all of that. So kind of that's, that's my part. And then, you know, I'm doing some social media marketing and stuff too when I, when I could fit that in. But, uh, you know, those guys are really doing all the real footwork here. I'm really just running the day-to-day operation here, just trying to make it a little bit better to have potentially, you know, a hundred or, you know, people here. Yeah. I don't know how many people Jesus. are going to show up, but I, I mean, I mean, we're hoping that it's going to be a good turnout. Um, but, uh, you know, you never know. So like I got a we have a five acre property, so we have plenty of room, but you know, we, we just order new enclosures for display so we can get some things that are in racks, uh, that, uh, 
people wouldn't normally be able to see on display because um, for a lot wow. of the listeners, or some of the listeners that may not know, we have a pretty diverse venomous collection, and uh, we, we have approximately 50 species of venomous. Uh, a lot of them are you know, seldom seen in collections and zoos and things like that. So um, yeah, we're, uh, we're trying to get some stuff that's not on display on display so everybody could see it because we're not going to be pulling anything out while people are around because uh, yeah, there are health risks associated with that, you know. So, um, you know, just getting stuff here. But uh, from everything, the auction's do- doing great. Um, you know, I'm, I'm messaging back and forth with Ian and um, it, it sounds like they're 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 killing it there like nice. 11,000 11,000 raised for nidovirus research the last last i heard it's probably more now so that's awesome as you guys know it's a good cause we want to learn learn more about that and um we're going to be doing nidovirus swabbing demonstrations here how to ship reptiles there's going to be a lot of different stuff going on and then people are going to be able to just kind of browse around um, and check out the venomous collection. We, of course, have Morelia pythons because that's why we're on here. And, uh, you know, our, our collection was affected by that virus, nidovirus. We had a really beautiful carpet python collection. We had, you know, all, all the stuff you guys are all, all too familiar with and mm-hmm. uh, a really, really, really beautiful designer green tree python collection that was, you know, a six, uh, over six figure, uh, green tree Python question that was wiped out in a matter of uh, months due to the virus. So, you know, that's, that's something that's really near to our hearts and we're able like through our experiences and, and kind of going public with all that, we're able to end the development of uh, fish head diagnostics that, that Pia and uh, Dr. Susan Fogelson are heading. I, I want to let that be known that I'm not a part of that. I'm not a part of the night of thing. You know, I'm not a veterinarian or a vet tech, all I talk about is our experiences with that, but you know, we don't give that. I don't give the medical advice or whatever. So all that testing is done through, through those guys and fish head laboratories, but uh, which was born out of this happening to us and uh, testing uh, multiple collections uh, as a part of that study from CSU uh, just, just kind of getting a baseline on this. And it was very, very prevalent. So um, we wanted to, uh, come up with something that you know like, like would help the rest of the python keepers and maybe create a higher standard of quarantine husbandry um, you know uh, uh, accession and disposition of animals when people are selling or trading or doing all that stuff pre-quarantine testing post-quarantine testing all that stuff we're going to be talking about that and uh, checking out some cool stuff we do have some chondros and stuff that do not have nidovirus that people can check out too um but uh but yeah so awesome uh, i'm gonna come up for air and if there's anything <laughs> that you guys want to know in particular um about what's going on here or uh what have you i'm, I'm happy to answer all of that no nah, man you're 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 pretty good just uh toss out any kind of contact info that or anything any place that people need to go to get any kind of more info for uh southeast carpet fest and then uh we'll jump into our uh, Vin Russo thing. Cool, man. Yeah. Um, well, Southeast Carpet Fest has its own Facebook page, so you could go check that out, Southeast Carpet Fest on Facebook. Um, also, uh, our website, terrestrialandarboreal.com, has our contact number. Um, if anybody has questions about that, they can contact. The, the number that's on there is my number. It will go right to me. So 
um, you know, obviously people that are serious about coming and stuff that have, you know, legitimate questions, uh, feel free to call. And um, Gainesville, we, we live in Melrose, Florida. It's about 45 minutes, give or take, away from Gainesville. That's the next major city. A lot of people are going to be staying there. Um, Ian is, you know, giving out information on, on all of that, on, on where to stay. People can find hotels. There's Palatka. Palatka is probably about 20 uh, where, where they have hotels or, or motels or or whatnot people could stay there st augustine is about an hour away because i used to work at st augustine alligator farm and that's about an hour hour and 10 minute commute from from here not bad all country roads easy driving orlando is the big international airport coming in that's about oh i will just call it two hours and some change uh from from where we are uh, uh, jacksonville international airport is about an hour and 15 an hour and 20 away and then we have gainesville regional airport which is an international airport but it's really small it's about 25 a minute 25 minutes away from us so if people can find a way to to get into that airport then it's a quick shot to where we are uh like i said we're on five acres so if anybody wants to bring camping equipment or whatever we could turn this into a reptile burning man and we can (laughs) people can camp out here uh, and that's cool. We're cool with that. We'll we'll throw up a bonfire. We're gonna have tents. There's a porta potty. We ordered a porta potty, and the, the like. We were just we just ordered it for the day, but they're like, hey, you know, can we just pick it up next week? So we're gonna have a porta potty <laughs> for a week. So, you know, like we'll see what happens. You know, we're open. Uh, we want people to come. We want people to support this. Uh, we wanna we wanna uh, thank um, our uh, sponsors of the event, uh, Cold Blooded Cafe. Uh, yeah, as as a lot of people that may listen uh, be listening know, Forrest Fanning and Dez uh, are are our best friends. We've known them forever. Um, Forrest and Dez have, have built a phenomenal rodent business, and uh, like the best quality rodents. I mean, I, like I've been getting rodents from Forrest forever. Forrest and I kind of got into rodents uh, around the same time. Forrest showed me everything that I know pretty much about rodent breeding. And we did that when we first met uh, on top of chondros and all of that other stuff. Uh, so Cold-Blooded Cafe is our platinum sponsor, uh, $30 flat rate shipping. So if anybody's looking for rodents shipped to them, uh, coldbloodedcafe.com. Uh, Feeder Source, another platinum sponsor, want to thank them uh ship your reptiles um is uh is i think a uh i don't even know the different tiers anymore but the mm. ship your reptiles is in there they sponsor that and the herpetoculture podcast so uh yeah what is it platinum and uh gold i think yeah gold we'll call it gold just for now i don't know if i'm totally butchering it but ship your reptiles is gold and then um herpetoculture podcast silver i don't know if i'm supposed to say that but i just said it um, you know, just to throw it out there because good competition is good. So, so anybody that wants to sponsor more, throw more money at the event, do it. It's for a good cause. Um, go check out the auction. Let's, let's, we're, the, the goal is 20,000. Uh, we're getting close. I, I, I have no doubts that we'll hit it. And, um, and yeah, looking forward to people come out and we have a, a really cool, collection for people to see that's outside of the norm we're going to have a species list that we're going to hand people so they can see everything in the collection so if somebody like has something on their wish list that they really want to check out we can make that happen and Mm -hmm. uh and yeah so we're going to get some kegs and we're going to drink some beer and we're going to eat some food and uh we're going to have a good time so we hope to see everybody here
Awesome. Well, it sounds like a good time, dude. Cool. We hope you guys have a great time, and uh, we'll definitely uh, you're gonna have to let us know uh, afterwards how everything went. Cool. I mean, I wish wish you could be here, but uh, I guess you're not coming out, is what I what I hear. So. Yeah, unfortunately, you can't shuttle back and forth to Florida multiple times and then go to Australia. So it's <laughs> logistically not going to work out. Unfortunately, I wish I could go, but I'm gonna send my Hobbit, um, and he's gonna yeah. do stuff. So. Yeah. We're, well, we're happy to we're happy to have him, and I totally get what you're saying. Pia and I are always uh, shuffling in all these different travels. Pia, you know, spent three weeks in Guam doing yeah. stuff with the uh, with the with the Guam rails with the brown tree snake stuff, and then got back and we went to Guatemala for two weeks uh, looking for rare palm vipers in the cloud forest and, and rare beaded lizards, and then like you know just bouncing back and going to conferences and all that, and it's like. Somehow you just make it work when you got to, you know, it's like, uh, you, you just got to, but I, Australia sounds like it's going to be a party. I, I can't wait to hear about that. All right, man. Well, thanks again, dude. And uh, obviously the auction is live, so everybody can go over and start bidding now. And you said the goal was 20? Cody? Dropped. All right, never mind. We lost Cody. But all right, the goal was twenty thousand. So, if you can, please go over bid as best you can. Let's see what's going on. Uh, and obviously, it's going to be a good time down in Florida. So, Rob, what's going on? Uh, not too much. I think we have Ben on the line. Ben, is that you? All right. I'm here. Can you hear me? Yeah, we got you. I can. Well. Awesome. Vin, welcome to Morelia Python Radio. Thanks for coming on with us today. Uh, Eric is sorry he can't be here today uh, with you, but uh, he left you in our semi-capable hands, so we'll see what happens. <laughs> so, <laughs> All righty. Well, uh, Vin, normally we start the show with, um, why don't you tell us what got you into reptiles? Well, you know, obviously people ask that question, a lot, and um, I'm sure you probably get similar answers. Mm-hmm. You know, as, as a kid, I was totally obsessed with reptiles, so it's I, I started very young, probably you know single digits age, you know, just into reptiles and into dinosaurs. And you know, my mother sent me to camp when I was a kid, and I'd be the only one looking for turtles and frogs and snakes the whole day, and they'd be yelling mm-hmm. at me so. <laughs> but, you know, started early and uh, worked in a pet shop as a kid. Um, met some cool kids that had, had reptiles and joined the New York Herp Society, which is one of the, which probably the first herp society um, in North America. They um, they started in the 50s. I, I didn't join till till the 80s. But in the 50s, that society started with a bunch of kids that met at the, the reptile house at the Bronx, um, the Bronx Zoo. Nice. So, um, yeah, it was, it was, and you know, they still to this day. Well, now it's the Long Island Herb Society, which I'm the, the president of now. But we still do trips to the to the Bronx Zoo Reptile House, you know, in in you know, commemoration of the New York Herb Society, which was from back then. So, but I, I started awesome. no differently than everybody else um, into reptiles as a kid, and you know, started breeding them when I was pretty young. And realized, wow, people want to buy these things from me. So <laughs> it snowballed from there. So awesome. Um, what was uh, what was your first ones? 
um, or was it just kind of random until you kind of focused? Well, the first things that I kept were mostly colubrids because back in the 80s, um, colubrids were were really hot. I mean, you know, California, king snakes, corn snakes, you know, an albino corn snake back then was a few hundred dollars, you know. They were, <laughs> they were pretty expensive, you know. You had to save up for a long time to get one. Um, Arizona mountain kings, um, pine snakes, all that stuff. It was real. It was real cool, and there was so many colors. And they're coming back now. You know, think about yeah. it. People, people lost touch with all that cool stuff because they were so, you know, focused on ball pythons for so many years, and everybody forgot about gray banded kings and mountain kings and all the cool, cool stuff with the cool colors. And now all of a sudden, you you go to a reptile show, and those things are a few hundred dollars a piece now. You know, <laughs> that's the weird thing. Like, do you see kind of how it like? I mean, obviously you've been into it. Like, would you expect the roller coaster effect where stuff that you couldn't give away all of a sudden now people are like beating you over the head to try to get to it? Well, you know, it's funny you say that because mm. it, it it almost became predictable, and <laughs> and and it it did. It got predictable because I remember when when colubrids were falling out of fashion and ball pythons were getting really hot, and I remember saying to a friend of mine, I'm like, mark my words, in a couple of years. You're not going to be able to find these things, and they're going to be 500 bucks a piece. You know, <laughs> sure enough, that's what happens. It's it's so weird though, because it's like, you know, where were you guys like when I had a ton of collections? Like, what the hell? So now nah, it's whatever. It, I guess it's partially. Do you think it's? Do you think people are kind of drawn to it because they don't see it all of a sudden, and now they're like, oh my god, it must be rare, or no, you know, I haven't you know, seen you know, this in ages. You know what I think happens? I think mm. people get jaded by money. And yep. what, what happens is, is you know, the whole ball python, and I'm not knocking ball. I've been breeding ball pythons for 30 years. I mean, I'm not right. knocking ball pythons. I'm deep into ball pythons. Um, but what I think a greed factor got into the picture with the ball python craze, which brought a lot of people into the industry that wouldn't have been in it in the first place. And what happened was, is if somebody had a few thousand dollars to spend, they would buy a, a few ball pythons and raise them up as best they could and breed them and try to make the money with them. And what happened was the money that people were spending on, we'll call them investment-type snakes, mm-hmm. they forgot about those. They forgot about the cool-looking colubrids, the Honduran milks, the, you know, the, 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 the alternatives and the, the, the tricolored King snake stuff. They forgot about it. And yeah. then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, you go to a show and these guys that got into the business, because they were reptile guys, but they also wanted to make money, they see one of these things at a reptile show and they're like, wow, I never saw one of those before. And then they start <laughs> dabbling in it, you know? Yeah. And then the Japanese guys come to the shows and buy it up before they can. And then it creates, <laughs> you know, it creates a market. No, but and you're right. Like, because I'm minute. like, I've never bought corn snakes. And I'm like, I'll just pick up some adults when they're at the show. I can't find any damn corn snakes now no. because they're all bought up. <laughs> yep, yep. They're all you're in not Japan sense and you know what i would probably agree with you on that where it's the all of a sudden it's like what the hell is this like what do you mean that thing's been here forever you just never noticed it so exactly exactly yeah. those things have been around a long time way before the ball pythons got hot so <laughs> all right so 
what made you focus on boas? Well, I, I focus on boas because they are my my favorite reptile. You know, I I breed a lot of snakes commercially, and the boas for me are the fun part. The boas for me are the passion. The boas are what get my feet on the floor in the morning, and it's always been that way since I'm a kid. Ever since the first one I had, you know, I mean, you mm-hmm. just look at a boa and it's got a look to it. It stares you in the eye. It's got musculature to it. It's it, it, you can, you know, you can. When you hold it, you can feel the strength of it, and 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 the you know obviously the colors and the patterns, and you know there's hundreds of different looks of boas, and they're they're all unique. So once I started collecting them, and then once I figured out how to breed them consistently, then I'm like, well, there's something here. I can I I'm going to stick with this. So the boas to me are are it. I mean, if I had to pick, you know, one part of my my business and say. You know, if somebody said to me, then you can only have one, you can only breed one species, you know, or one genus, it would be boas, you know. Okay. Uh, I mean, it, and it's just, and that's just, and they just drew you in at a show, or was it like a conscious decision no, to get a project? No, as, as a kid, as a little kid, my neighbor mm. had one, and um, he kept it in his garage. And he would have all the kids come over and watch it eat a mouse, and, and I was just <laughs> blown away. You know what I mean? And yeah. You think about it. It was like <laughs> we're all sitting around this this kid's fish tank in his garage, and he's dropping a mouse in there alive, and we're all like, "Whoa!" You know? <laughs> we're all freaking out. I'm not sure out, if you can you know? get away with that today. I mean, like, I'm pretty sure there'd be some problems. <laughs> Somebody's mother would not be all right. But yeah, it's that's that's awesome. And you know, going to the the Staten Island Zoo. When I was a kid, the Staten Island Zoo had, had they didn't have a ton of boas, but they had some boas, and um, they were really big Suriname boas. Mm-hmm. And I remember seeing those and just being floored, like, "Wow, look at the red tails on those things, Jesus!" Because you you know back then the only things you saw in a pet shop were Colombian boas, which had nice orange tails. But then when you saw a true red tail like a Suriname with a real blood red you know, tail. You, I, I was really impressed, and uh, and from that point on, I'm like, this is it. I got to find some of those. <laughs> and I was literally a child. I'm talking ten, twelve years old. You know. Oh, so that that was your first boa when you were twelve, or my first you know? boa was I was probably about. Um, not, well, that was the first one I saw, a big one in the zoo. Mm. My first boa as a pet, I was probably fourteen. And um, I remember I traded um, a friend of mine wanted, I had some horn frogs because I worked in a pet shop, an aquarium, <laughs> and they were getting in horn frogs with fish deliveries. You know, the the, the ceratophrys, they called them cornuda back sure. then, the brown ones, the surname, yeah. horn frogs. Yeah, and the they got horns. some in yeah. and I, yeah, they got the big horns on them. I got, they got some in and I took one home and I got it to eat. It, it only ate frogs in the beginning. I would feed it tadpoles and leopard frogs, but I grew, <laughs> I had it for a while. It got pretty big. And a, a friend of mine saw it, another one of my reptile friends. And he, he was like, I have to have that frog. And I said, well, I want that boa you have. He had a nice Columbia boa. So I traded him, you know, and that was one of my first boas. Awesome. 
That's a good yeah. trade. <laughs> yeah, it was a good trade. Yeah, they were yeah, e- they were equally valued, you know. Yeah. Think about it. That they were right. they were both worth about the same amount of money if we were going to sell them, you know. So it worked out. I'm still friends with that guy. <laughs> he isn't he isn't asked you. Uh... You know, gives backs or anything like that. Cause the toad was, yeah, he isn't, he's not trying to get in yeah. on some of this boa stuff you got oh, cooking. God. But all right. Um, oh, so God. then, why don't, why don't you tell us um, what are you working with right now? Like, what's your collection looking like? I work with boas. Okay. <laughs> Next end of episode. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I work. Um, yeah, I mean, we know you have a bunch know, of a ton of boas. Yeah. Yeah, like I work the other stuff Bowers, too, because like, um, we know you have. I I have what? a bunch of stuff. I mean, um, predominantly my business is boas, ball pythons, corn snakes, and I also do um, some a bunch of skinks too. So, cool. Um, so are we okay. talking like a certain type of boa, or it doesn't matter? Any boa you can get your hand on, or do you kind of like go in close? All the boas, even the dirty epicrides. I mean, come on. <laughs> so, <laughs> wow. I don't have any. Um, them, right? Yeah, I don't have any epicrides anymore. I used to breed um, Brazilian rainbow boas, but I I got out of them because they're just too mean. <laughs> <laughs> they are. <laughs> they be, I mean, they always be latching on to me. I mean, especially when they were babies. I mean. It's such a shame because they're the most beautiful little baby snakes. They're pink, red, orange, and you can sell them all day long, but you can't just hand one to a kid and say, look how cool that is because it's going <laughs> to grab them. Just, just nail them and then, yeah. Yeah. I got so you. I stopped doing the epicrates. But I do do, um, I do, do um, some tree boas. And, I mean, you, you know what it is? Mm. I'm a commercial breeder, so I do this for a living. But I have mm-hmm. a lot of projects that I do just for me, you know. That's, that I that's just good, do though. For fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, so I'm still the reptile geek kid who um, <laughs> I still have horn frogs, you know. I still have a bunch <laughs> of horn frogs, you know. Just, just little garbage cans to feed them, you know. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah. I think if you're going to be a commercial breeder, you need some thing to just eat the stuff that either the snakes refuse or whatever the hell, just to get it out. I mean, I had monitors for the longest time, but they're just messy. So, um, I don't know. Horn frogs might be something I look into, but yeah, I, I used to do monitors too, but I got out. There was just, it was like you said, too messy. I did the, um, the Ackies for a long time. And mm-hmm. what, what happened was, um, they, they're prolific. They breed. And, but at the time I had them, you couldn't get, there weren't any roaches. So I was feeding them predominantly crickets and I was buying boxes of crickets. And I remember one year at the end of the year, looking at my cricket bill, the difference in my electric bill from the the year I didn't have them and the year I did <laughs> have the, the Ackies, right? I looked at the mm-hmm. difference. Yeah. I looked at the, the, the time that I put into them, which wasn't a ton of time, but you know, like you said, they're messy. So there was a lot of cleaning. So I kind of yeah. came up with hours of what it took me to, to work on them. And then I took into respect how much money I made, and I basically broke even. Oh, so go to hell. <laughs> as, Come as, on. As a, as a commercial guy for me, I was just like, I can't keep up that. I can't waste that much space on things that I'm breaking even on, you know? 
That's so, so weird, though. Because people are like, Ackies, Ackies, Ackies. You'd figure, but whatever. I, I don't know. It's it, I can't ever gauge the you market. You've got to keep in mind, I, I'm, in, I'm in New York where it's cold, and my electric bill is ridiculous and in the winter. Yeah. And those Ackies got to be 150 degrees, you know? Yeah, no. So the, the, <laughs> my electric bill alone was killing me on those things. So, and it was also, keep in mind, this was also about almost 20 years ago when the market wasn't as strong for them. Um, so right. it wasn't as easy to sell them and the prices weren't as strong. So it just wasn't worth it for me back then. Would I do it again? Maybe, but it's a lot of work. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I do have one other question before we get start getting into localities and a bunch of other stuff like that. Um, a couple of years ago when there was talk of, the banning of boa constrictors as part of that Lacey Act stuff. I mean, did you see any kind of dip in people in popularity of boa constrictor or even in yourself trying to sell babies and stuff like that? You know, I, I didn't really see a, a huge difference because, you know, I, I, I do produce boas and people, people know me for boas. So, Mm-hmm. They were selling just as fine. It wasn't like all of a sudden the faucet dried up and nothing was selling. <laughs> I can only imagine that it might. What I'm imagining is if that had never happened, that I may have made more boas and made more money. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just kept myself as as status quo. Like oh, I'm still going to breed what I got, and I'm going to, you know, make make the snakes, and I'm still going to sell them. The way I looked at it was worst case scenario was if this thing goes into effect. I'll be the only guy in New York selling boas, breeding <laughs> boas on a big basis. Do you know what I mean? And right. New York yeah. is pretty big. There's like right. the, not a terrible know, state. Yeah, yeah. No. yeah, yeah. There's, there's, there's about 20 million people in New York. I mean, it's, there's, there's a lot of people in New York. So I'll be fine. Luckily, yeah. Yeah. Luckily, I don't live in you know Montana, Rhode Island. You know. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that that's the way I looked at it. Was I'm not going to stop. I'm going to keep doing it. But I was I was very involved in that whole thing. I, mm-hmm. I, I was on board with uh, PJAC at the time, and um, we were we were working on a lot of things to figure out what what would the, what the big problem was. And it all boils down to politics and drawing attention to the South Florida Water Management Authority, and they wanted to use the Burmese Python as the pawn to to draw attention to themselves to get to get federal funding, and right. you know it mm-hmm. seemed common sense to me that the boa constrictors weren't fitting the bill because they weren't finding boa constrictors all over Florida, you know? They, they were finding Burmese pythons. Right. Boa constrictors can't handle the cold. And one cold snap and a, a below 55 degrees and a boa is dead, you know? Right. Meanwhile, they proved that a berm can handle it colder than that. All right. Well, they are a problem. But the boas were not a problem. At least you know, and, I, and if you notice, they took the retics off too, which to me, retics are giant. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, they're a little more scary looking, I would say, because of their size. And but boas are so much smaller. And yeah. You know, luckily, luckily, um, we got our point across, and um, they dropped the boas out after a while because they figured, well, what are we going to do? <laughs> so, awesome. Right. It was something they could cut off without, you know, it was easy for them to get rid of it and strengthen their argument relative to. Right. Yeah, probably. 
Fair but, enough. But no, as far as okay. well, lower sales dropping yeah. off, they 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 were pretty much the same for me, at least for me. I don't know. I don't know what anybody else can say about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad to hear it. You know, I think I think that's for the best, and it it represents that you know people who like boas like boas, right? And they weren't either fleeing from it or then pumping money into it retroactively, which I think it kind of seems like the retick stuff has done. You know, that, that took a, a roller coaster associated with it. So it's yeah, well, good you that people think just about like it. Retics and berms, you can't collect retics and berms without, a, without having a ton of space. You can collect boas and have them in a small space because, again, boas don't get giant, regardless mm-hmm. of what people say. The, a giant boa, a giant boa is anything in the 8 to 10 foot range. To me, that's a giant boa. Right. Yeah. And, but meanwhile, agree. a Burmese python can get 8 to 10 feet in one year. You know, a right. yearling berm is easily <laughs> eight to ten feet. So, but what I'm getting at is, is people that collect them as pets. Yeah. They could collect boas far easier. So I, I you know, for me, it, it didn't seem like, you know, people. Are, oh, everybody's going to drop boas now. But if anything, people are like, no, I'm going to get the boas I can get. I can get now in case I can't if this thing right. goes into effect. You know. Right. Or they get rid of the retics, get the boas because. Now they can and go get boas. Right. Yeah. And I'm not knocking retics. I love retics. No. But in New York, I can't keep retics, you know? That's true. I forgot about yeah. that. Yeah. So. Yeah. All right, Rob. Right on. Well, yeah. Well, I know we wanted to wander through some of the boa locality stuff that you got going, and you got so much of it. But there are certainly a couple that I wanted to hit on and just, you kind of the story of the lines you're working with, if there are particular qualities you really enjoy, and those sorts of things. And the first one uh, was the Bolivian boa. I know you have some amazing stuff, and if you can chat through what uh, what the lines and stuff you have, and and just kind of tell people about them. Well, you know, a lot of people don't realize that the Bolivian boa, the entire the entire race of Bolivian boas, started with just one or two breedings of snakes that a guy. Um, got in back in, um, well, boy, what was it? Probably the mid to early 80s. It's in my book. I don't have a copy in front of me. But um, they came in with a shipment of blue and gold macaws from Bolivia, and there was literally a handful of them. And um, they were that, that, that original shipment is all that ever came in of Bolivian boas. So, when people ask me, they're like, what line do you have? I'm like, I, I have the original <laughs> line. There's only one line. <laughs> right. That's it. You know, I have they're all descended related. from the couple of snakes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. They're, they're all related. So, um, you know, later on, I, I think a few other guys called some orange crush and silverback. Uh, you know, in one litter, I could see animals that have orange and ones that are all silver. So, you know, I, I right. can be a wise ass and say those are silverbacks, but uh, I don't. I just say those are both <laughs> colors, you know. Sure. <laughs> what am I going to do, you know? But, um, yeah, I, they're one of my favorite races of boas, and they don't get giant. They're not really, really big. Um, they're not um, – and they're, they're colorful. They do have They do have the orange colors in them, which is pretty cool, you know. So I don't work with yeah. them – since the beginning of time, and 
They're they're not as prolific as some of my other races of boas, but I do produce them every other year. I would say, you know, mm-hmm. like this year I had okay. some and I kept them all because I want to, you know, I wanted to restock right. my sure. my supply, so to speak. And then with those, I know similarly with the Amarilli, um, you have the Sao Paulo ones, right? That came that. Uh, yeah, gotten yeah, from Hans Winner. Yeah, they're, those are from Hans Winner, and um, they're a lot different from the well, the Joe Terry line is the original line of the Bolivians. The the Sao Paulo's are a lot different than the the, the Joe Terry uh, original Bolivians. Um, the Sao Paulo bow is originated in Denmark from a guy that was, from what I heard, was uh, either a college professor or somebody who worked in a in a college and was who had gotten some snakes from Sao Paulo and brought them into Denmark, bred them maybe once or twice. And um, I know Herman Stokel ended up with some, and then my friend Hans Winter ended up with some. And Hans and I have been friends a long time, and I got a pair from Hans. And I've bred them twice, the pair that I got from Hans. Um, They're very different from the Joe Terry Bolivian um, Amaralli there. The these we'll call them Danish bloodline. That's because that, that's what they call them in Europe. They call them the Danish MRI. Okay. Um, they're darker. They're they they don't have any orange or red on them at all. They're very cryptic looking. They're a different snake. They're completely different from the Bolivian ones. So they're really neat too. I mean, they're they're really eye catching because they look like you can put them on the ground in a pile of leaves and you'll lose them. You know. <laughs> right and lose it. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, That's I'm really working cool. with them too. Yeah, you know, it's funny. People okay. people what? email me or people email me and say, you know, Ben, I I want an unrelated pair of Bolivian <laughs> Amarillo. <laughs> Good luck. Sorry. <laughs> Not gonna happen. You know? I want an unrelated pair of the Sao Paulo bows. I want a female from one bloodline and a male from another i'm like <laughs> they started with a single that bloodline started with a single breeding one breeding you know at Jeez. least the joe terry animals animals i think there was a total of two or three of the original wild caught animals that created the whole bloodline and that's it you know that's that's insane you ever i see mean any do negative you... stuff out of that i have not seen any inbreeding depression at all i mean i've seen no birth defects. I've seen no issues with them. I mean, you know, I've, I've personally seen nothing. So uh, it's, awesome. it's, it's strange. I, you know, people, again, they ask about inbreeding depression on, on stuff like that. And, you know, a lot of locality type boas look the way they do because they're genetically isolated right. living in, you know, a, a canyon. Such or a something. tight spot. And, and, Right. Yeah, they're sure. all they're all related. They're all running into each other, so they they have a, they all have a similar look because they're from a similar area, and you know just like some, I'm, I'm sure you've well you probably haven't, but you know like for example some t- island type boas, people think oh, they have inbreeding depression because they're, they're they're from an island. They don't. Over thousands of years. If there were any defects that right. popped up, they were they were right. weeded so out immediately. Yeah. yeah, and 
you know, the reverse of inbreeding depression happens with small gene pools in, in nature because nature is random selection of, of breeding partners, even though they're related. What happens is, is sure. those, those negative traits get wiped out and the traits that, that they've adapted to live with get stronger. So, for example, right. like crawl K boas, there's, you know, one of the PhDs that I worked with who's, who's been to crawl K, he was telling me they, there's like a total of eight snakes on that whole island. You know? <laughs> That's the whole wild population right now. You know? Jesus. Yeah. So it's like. So a big wave just wipes them all out. I mean, like. Th- a that, hurricane that... can wipe that island out. Yeah, oh a my hurricane God. can wipe it out. Um, but what I'm getting at is this. And. and Caulker K too. There's the there's not a lot of those on on Caulker K either. I've I've got a Caulker K female that's had seven litters in its life. I don't have one albino boa in my collection that has more than two or three. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. it's like, and, and the albino boa to me, especially the colline, and I'm not knocking it. That's all I got are the colline. They're inbred. Mm. There's, there's, there's genetic, you know. Every albino thing is inbred because everybody just wanted to get more albino. Right. So, but there's, yeah, there's genetic abnormalities in those things that pop up, and you see them. You see people posting pictures, the first ever, call albino, slash, 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 whatever it is, and it's got one bug eye on the side, you know? It's like. Right. <laughs> or it's missing eyes or whatever it is, sure. Yeah. It, it, I've never seen that in a K Cocker or a Hog Island or even a Surinam boa, right. but you see them in anything with call albino in it. It's got that, that weird bug eye thing, you know? <laughs> so that's the that's, that's, that's You know, that's an issue. And it kind of speaks to just the notion of dealing with uh, defective from wild-type genes in the first place, right? It's, it's sort of a miracle that our morph snakes aren't more screwed up than they are, you know, right, with the... Uh, Right. It's a way right. you're right. dealing with because genes that are, that are com- recombined differently. Right. Those genes did not evolve in the wild. Those gene, <laughs> genes are spontaneous gene mutations that right. pop up, and in the wild they would have been eliminated immediately. But in captivity we nurture them and keep them going. <laughs> and, again, I'm not knocking them. I love albino. Bones. No. I love you know, I made the red dragons, the sure. blood albinos, with, al- with call albinos. It's the reddest snake in the world. You know, but it's not, the, you know, they're not the strongest albino gene in the world either, you know. Mm. You, you got to outcross right. them and oh. keep them, keep them, you got to really watch what you're doing. It's like, it's like being a dog breeder with breeding these morphs. You need to be very selective in your pairings. You need to outcross constantly and you need to, to try and add new blood and strengthen your bloodline constantly. Unlike these crawl K boas or, or island type boas where you can have <laughs> sure. F10 generation and they're bulletproof, you know? Right. Yeah. Absent some sort of random mutation, they're going to be all the deleterious genes have been wiped out of that population over the last 5,000 years, 10,000 right. years or whatever it is. Right. Sure. Right. Now, um, uh, another one we... I wanted to talk about that I saw. Hold on, on Rob. One... one real quick, Alan. Go, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. What do you got? Um, the, uh, you guys had them behind the table at the show and were certainly, uh, caught my eye was the Corn Island Bows. That was a secret. You just, oh, 
shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Demon Rob. Oh, God, okay. <laughs> I didn't know yeah, it was the a demon. Damn it. <laughs> the Corn Island Boas I've had for years, and they're near and dear to my heart, too. They're just, you know, they're not very prolific. They have very small litters. They're small snakes. Um, so, you know, I had a pair that a guy had, had ordered and ordered them a, a long time ago, so I brought them with me to the show. But other than that, um, there, there's things in my collection that I do produce pretty much regularly, and there's things mm-hmm. that I produce ir- that I produce irregularly. I don't advertise the fact that I have things because, as you know, corn island boas are hot. People want them. Same, really? same with my yeah. hog island boas. People really love hog island boas. I mean, they go nuts for hog island boas. So it's it, and the, the corns are no different. So. Um, I, uh, again, if I advertised I have them, I would be inundated with emails and and, and sure. phone calls. So when I do have them, I'll po- post a page on like on my Facebook page. I'll post, you know, um, Hog Island Bows are born. If you want them, they're right. seven fifty a pair. You know, PayPal me. I'm not sending individual pictures. This is the mm. parents. There's just no need. The, the demand is yeah, so high. Yeah, all those babies yeah. are born. Little, plus, all those babies are born is little carbon copies of each other. They change huh. over time. You know, right. you don't know what they're going to look like. It's like, <laughs> right. you know, yeah. you really don't. You, you don't have the face yeah, idea. No, totally. You cannot predict what they're going to look like. 18 months or two years, sure. Right. Totally yeah. different. So I tell people, this is what I got. And, like, this year I did the, the hogs. I said, um, you know, I've got a litter. You want them. They sold out in like ten minutes. Jeez, no joke. Right. Like ten minutes, I got <laughs> overwhelmed with messages and emails. I said, "All right, PayPal me, and I'll send you an invoice. PayPal me, I'll send you an invoice. PayPal." And then once I got enough PayPal's for what I thought were the number of snakes that I wanted to right. sell out of that litter, I took the page down. You know, I took the post down, and I was done. Right. Um, the same with the Corn Islands. I didn't even post that I had them. I just, you know, told a friend or two, you know, you inquired about them before, you want them, I'll, I'll bring you a pair. And they're like, oh, I definitely want them. So, right. That's, that's so cool. what I do. They look gorgeous. Only I mean, I'm just going to. four litters a year. <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'll be lucky to have a litter or two of each one of these localities I have per year. That I'll be lucky to have them. And you know, people think I'm sitting on stockpiles and stuff. I'm really not. I mean, I have my veritable Noah's Ark of things, which is a few pairs of each. But, I, I mean, right. I'm not pumping out hundreds of any type of snake, you know what I mean? So it, it's good and it's bad. It's good because it creates a demand, and it's bad because I can't really fulfill the demand. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. But um, So we did have a question from the chat uh, and it was Will who uh, popped up there. He said, uh, do you think that what's going on with the boas that, uh, when it comes to breeding, inbreeding for stronger genes can be done with some of the Australian species of pythons and stuff like that that we have here because there's no new blood coming in from Australia. It hasn't been since, I think, 92. So do you think that will start happening with the captive bred population? Well, if it didn't happen yet, it's not going to happen because Australian yep. stuff has been here since the 70s. 
That's a long right. time. That's almost mm-hmm. 50 years. <laughs> so if it didn't happen, it's not going to happen. I mean, you've you got to keep in mind also, not just a single pair of these things came in. You know, those jungle carpets came mm-hmm. in, and it was there was definitely more than a pair because I see different looks of those jungle carpets around. Even though some people added diamond into them years and years ago. Right. Um, which was kind of foolish in a way because I can see diamond popping up in a lot of jungle carpets that I see out there, the black and yellow jungles. You see a little speckling in them that still left <laughs> over from that right. diamond bloodline from 30 years ago or whatever. Um, <laughs> but, you know, there are a few locality-type carpets that, like um, the Darwins, um, that, that's a small gene pool because those were started with the albinos that came from Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, so those, right. but, but, you know, nobody's really keeping those the pure Darwins pure anymore. They're mixing them into everything else. You know, they're mixing yeah. them into Irian Jayas, they're mixing them into the Jaguars. So um, unless you're a locality-type breeder of carpet pythons, which I guess you'd have to talk to Nick about, um <laughs> You know, in breeding depression, I don't. We do think, regularly. I don't think it's a, a giant issue just yet. And again, I'm a strong yeah. advocate of these these locality type animals have a similar look because they're all related. You know? Right. They're all related to begin with. Sure. Um, and what we're seeing as far as inbreeding depression is like the example I brought up of the albino boa, and would like just like you guys said. People got them and raised them up as fast as they could to breed them, and they bred them brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters. And it mm-hmm. was yeah, it was so simple to outcross an albino boa. You just simply breed it to an unrelated normal boa, and you have a whole new, you know, gene pool Crop of animals. Stuff. Yeah. You know? yeah. So, and it, it amazes me that nobody's really done that. They, they they just keep breeding and breeding and breeding and breeding and breeding to the point where it's like, just outcross them once or twice, and you got a you got a better animal. You know, no nobody thinks to outcross until something bad happens. Like right uh, with IJs when they were granites were born with no eyeballs. It's like oh shit, we guess we should start doing things. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah that, of course. That was an issue. You know, that will do something. Yeah, yeah. The I think going back to Williams' question, the only animal that I think would relate to what's going on with the boas out of Australia would be the rough scale python. Because even in the wild, they only live in like that one gorge one canyon. and ravine. Yeah. Yeah. One canyon. Yeah. 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 So think yeah. those would be the only ones that I would think you'd see uh, that would act the same way as an island type locality. Because it's pretty much what they are is they're an island species, but they don't live on an island. They live in a gorge. So right. that's, I think, right. the only they're thing. They're genetically yeah. isolated in their own little gorge and they are mm-hmm. all related. I mean, plus, what did John Weigel start with? One pair? I mean, he literally found. <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, I, I think yeah. it was two pair, but yeah, I don't know what, it, what yeah, you had out of it, but they had like maybe four snakes. Yeah. Exactly. It was small. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, you, but I don't think anybody's had any issues with them yet either, you know? No. no. I, I mean, I, I, I like a, seen any. not a lot of people have bred them either, but right. um, not, not a lot of people have bred too many um, animals so closely related to the wild either. A lot of stuff that's being bred on larger scales is stuff that's multiple generations in captivity. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you got to keep in mind when a snake comes out of the wild, you know, somebody 
find the snake in Australia? Number one, right now in Australia, it's the middle of the summer. Mm-hmm. You know, their their seasons are flip flops. So you get a snake right. from and and that's lived its entire life where the summer is in the winter and the winter is in the summer, <laughs> and then you bring it to the northern hemisphere sure. and you screw it up. You know, that's gonna take some time. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's going to take a bunch of generations to get that animal, to get that out of its internal clock, you know? Right. It's hard to change the internal clock. You know, I'm into skinks, too, and Mm -hmm. um, for years, you know, those wild-caught Indonesian skinks were coming in, and uh, they were almost impossible to breed because they're living in a totally different seasonality in Indonesia as they are here, you know? And Mm -hmm. I'm trying to, to... you know, give them wet and dry season, cool them down, warm them up. And meanwhile, I didn't know what the hell they went through for the last 10 years that they lived in in Indonesia or whatever. They could have been 15 years old, 20 years old. Sure. Who knows? Yeah. Right. So it wasn't until a few generations of people, you know, it didn't, it didn't, I didn't successfully breed any of those Indonesian skinks until I got, until Wakaw females came in and dropped babies and I raised up those babies right. in my environment. That's yes. what happened. That's what I keep telling people. It's the it's your best bet for breeding anything hard. Get it as a baby and raise it in your how you do things, and it will right. do what you do, and that's perfect. Just enough, just that very small bit of flexibility added by being captive hatched or whatever instead. Yes, sure. Yep. Right. But you know, as far as the the the, the pythons from Australia. Mm. You can't out you can't outcross them. You, you mm. don't. Yeah. Only, the gene pool is what it is, and that's it. You, there's no answer. Mm. Just leave it alone. Just keep breeding them and see what happens. You know? Yeah. Maybe maybe another bloodline will come out of Australia and end up in, in Europe. I don't know because they're not technically not allowed to. I think what is it? Just zoo to zoo. I mean, how do they even get from Australia to, to Europe? Well, there are yeah, a few so they ways. Went the, the zoo stuff. <laughs> zoo to zoo. Sure. The, the legitimate stuff yeah. is. Yeah. yeah zoo, zoo to zoo, zoo but then. With, uh, everyone's well, some up zoos and have the ability to surplus. But... Okay. <laughs> I mean, jo- yeah. John Weigel did an article in a, even a little um, TV show about how difficult it was just to find one of those things. Yeah. You know? Right. And yeah. So, I mean, it took so, them a, a few weeks just to get there. Mm-hmm. You can't just fly in. Yeah, you know, it's an incredibly difficult in place to get. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So be happy you got them. <laughs> 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 you worried about inbreeding depression? You're lucky you got them. <laughs> you have it. <laughs> just, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you idea what people went through? Yeah. I, I think about that every once in a while when I look at mine. <laughs> so, you know, but. That's awesome. Um, but let's totally. get uh, – we'll, we'll jump back to Boas now, <laughs> uh, Rob. Um, yeah, sure. So a couple more. We won't run through everything because, as I say, you have all the Boas. But uh, another one right. that is a personal favorite of mine is the Tamalipas Boas. Yeah, those are pretty pretty cool. And they come from a really unique environment. Um, the Tamalipas cloud forest is just that. It's a cloud forest. And uh, – it's a very unique environment, and it's pretty far north. I, I think it's the, almost the most northerly part of the range of Boa in, in Parator. 
Um, it's not particularly a, a cold, cold place at all. It's a, you know, it's a cloud forest, uh, and it's obviously Mexico. Um, but what I mean by yeah. unique is everything that lives in that cloud, cloud forest is unique too, right down to the, um, the to the um, the lepidus, which are the the little banded rattlesnakes. Yeah. They're they're different looking from all the ones around them, also in that cloud forest. So. Um, the, the the boa has obviously evolved in that cloud forest to be a little different, to look a little different. Um, they don't really act that much different from most of my other Mexican type boas, but they do have a unique look to them. They're not very very large. They're they're pretty small, the medium race boa, um, and they got some cool colors and some cool stuff has been popping up in the ones I've been breeding. I I even produced a couple that look like Aztec boas. Those ones That's with the cool. connected uh-huh. saddles, you know. I think I'm going to call them. I'm going to come up with another name that has to do with the Tamaulipas cloud bars, so that they can be differentiated. It's probably the same trait, um, but I've produced a couple of those and I've kept them, and they've got really bright colors. They're just neat little little yeah, that cloud orange bars. That'll pop through is. Yeah, yeah, they got a lot of orange in them for for these little cryptic snakes. And again, those are snakes you can throw on the on the ground with a bunch of leaves and they'll disappear. You know? That's insane. They will disappear. Right. Yeah. Do you have any of them? That's awesome. I do not. But no, I, you're yeah. you're tempting me, which is you, dangerous. Yeah. Because <laughs> you're close. You know, you're in New York. Yeah, I'm the beautiful PA. ones you brought at uh, <laughs> at Tinley. Sure. Um, yeah. And then the the last one, at least that jumps out to me is just the Longicotta, because I know the story with, you know, if you want to get into the story with your brother and your involvement in, in that whole thing, seeing the first ones and all that stuff. Yeah, my brother and I were around in, uh, well, back in the 80s, we had a pet shop, and um, a guy named Jerry Marzak used to come in there all the time. And Jerry co-wrote the book, um, Reproductive History of Pythons and Boas with um, Dick Ross. Cool. And at the time, nice. Jerry was Jerry was a, uh, a an avid collector of reptiles and and reptile books too. The guy had a huge library of books, and he was also a detective, a New York City detective. So he was always undercover, and he would come into come into our shop. Not under he didn't come to us undercover. We knew who he okay. was. Okay, you know, <laughs> you <laughs> you pretend not to know him. It's like yeah, dude. <laughs> yeah, he was an undercover oh, detective. So. Sometimes he'd have a beard, sometimes he didn't. You know, sometimes he had long hair, sometimes he had short hair. <laughs> he was just one of That's those cool trip. guys. And, um, <laughs> he, he came into the shop once and he said that there was a shipment of boas that came in that ended up at the Staten Island Zoo and they didn't really want them all. There was just too many of them. They wanted to know if we were interested in any of them. And I don't know, I think my brother remembers the particulars, but the shipment came in and there was something wrong with the paperwork, and that's why the, the shipment was was taken by, I mm-hmm. guess, U.S. Fish and Wildlife at the time and given to the zoo. And after the zoo had them for a while, and whatever paperwork was straightened out or not straightened out, they didn't know what they wanted to do right. with them. So we ended up with a, with about six or seven of them. And then, and I was friendly with one of the guys at the Staten Island Zoo at the time, and um, I ended up getting a few more. And Dr. Robert Price, who was a local herpetologist who worked at NASA Community College as a biology professor, he was another customer who came into the store regularly to buy mice mm-hmm. and rats for, for snakes. And 
he saw the snakes, and I said to him, you know, Bob, those snakes are unique. There's something different about them. You know, they're jet black. They come from Peru. They come from the west coast of Peru. They have nothing to do with constrictor constrictor. If anything, they're an extension of imperator, but look how long the tails are on the males. And one of the males was was attempting to breed a female, and he had averted his hemipene, and it was really big, like 12 inches. Mm-hmm. And um, <laughs> so Jesus. Dr. Price Dr. Price was like, you know, we should probe all these males and see how deep they probe, right. you know, because most boas probe That's like... That's the point of the long tail. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. That's how it came out. Most boas probe males 15 to 20 scales deep. These these males okay. probe over 40 scales deep. Jeez. Um, Subcortal scales deep into the base of the tail. Wow. So um, the only other snake that probed that deep are like king cobras and I think anacondas. Mm-hmm. But anyway, he um, he was friends with a guy named Sam McDowell, who was a um, right a taxonomist yeah, at the Museum of Natural History. So he went and, and showed one to Sam McDowell and told him about it. And hmm. Sam McDowell, who was this this you know walking you know dictionary on taxonomy, was like it's probably a new species. We should uh, describe it. And once we got the, you know, the okay from the, the, the head guru, you know, we um, started putting, putting together a paper and it was published in a, in a scientific journal called the snake. And it was published in Japan as a new subspecies. So, it was pretty cool to be be involved with the whole thing and be around it. And, you know, did, little did we know we, we were making boa history at the time. <laughs> right. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and they, they are turned cool out to snakes. be super variable, right? Yeah, they they are variable. And they, and they were variable when they came in because there was some that were like yellowy brown and black and some were black on black, some were black on white. Um, they all had that, you know, big white head spear and they all were pretty, Black was predominantly the color. And they also have an IMG factor. And, you know, people, you know, talk about IMG boas now, which are the Colombian race that Pete Hall started. He called them Azabachi boas. <laughs> those those okay. are the classic IMGs we see today. Um, these long-tail boas had that IMG effect, I'm going to call it, or genes, where they start out light and they get darker and darker and darker as they shed and get older and older. So um, there is an IMG factor involved with, with that that race of snake too, you know. That's so totally. they're just cool snakes. They're, they're, I, yeah. they're probably, you know, one of my favorites. That's awesome. So um, with boa, I mean, there's there's a ton of morphs and mutations out there. You know, can you kind of give us a quick rundown of what? you might find out in Herp the Culture now, and what are some of your favorites? Well, my favorites are the blood boas and the leopard boas as far as morphs. And those I've okay. been working with for a long time. You know, Hans Winter did the leopard boas. You know, he's the originator. Um, I can't say he was the very first guy because supposedly somebody produced them um, somewhere over there in Germany. I don't remember who, but 
the gene was somewhere over there, and, and Hans was lucky enough to have some normal Sonora boas that he popped them out too. Um, whether they were both at the same time or within a year of each other, something like that, I don't know. But they were originally called um, Mephisto boas. <laughs> they weren't called okay. leopard boas. They were called Mephisto. Mephisto means the devil. <laughs> All right. Why? <laughs> I don't know why. Maybe because they had they were so different, you know. You can't. I gotta keep in mind in Germany they didn't like the abnormalities. They don't like, you know. For example, in Germany they don't like albino um, anything. They don't like albinos. Mm-hmm. If people have breed dogs and if an albino pops up, they euthanize. So uh, in Germany, um, so. This this anomaly pops up, and they call it the Mephisto, the devil. Um, but Hans was smart enough to brought some to the United States back in the early 2000s, and I bought some from him when he was in Daytona. And there were, I don't know if it was inbreeding problems. It might have been because Hans never really added anything to his bloodlines, but I had to outcross them significantly, significantly to start getting good production out of them because the original... My original leopard females were not producing very much, if anything, at all. So what I did was I bred my males into, you know, um, hyposonorans, and I bred them into salmons. Um, I also bred, you know, got got them into albino. And all of those double hets and hets are what made most of my leopards for many, many years. And um, that to me, that those are you know, some of the coolest looking morse out there. Um, if you just go to my website on my, my Facebook page, you'll see yeah, totally. the the cool stuff that I've made with the leopard boa trait. Um, and my, my other favorite of the blood bow is that, that Ron St. Pierre dug up out of a collect, you know, out of a bags full of El Salvador boas back in the early nineties. I mean, those Jesus. the blood bows today have come so far. I've spent so many years just to, trying to improve on the red on those things. So, and I think I've achieved it. So wait, he just found yeah, them in, in a bin or something yeah. like that? Or? Well, he was going through bags of um, El Salvador boas in Strictly Reptiles back in the 90s. And um, he found, I think, um, three, three um, blood boas and two anery boas and a Later on, a, the straight through thing, or, right? Yeah, in the mind. And and like a, uh, he also found like a patternless thing because I've been making patternless. Right, that's what I was Blood bows too. Yeah. yeah, no shit. They have some striping on them too. Yeah. So um, oh, and, and you know well, Ron's a, Ron's a smart guy. Ron bred them and you know made some heads and also proved that it was recessive by breeding heads back into homozygous. You know, he did all the legwork, and then he got out of Boas and sold the projects off. Um, and I was l- fortunate enough to get a blood boa from from the Barkers way back, and from directly from Ron's line, and um, wow. started making my own stuff early, early on, and started breeding them into you know some other projects just to to see what else I got out of it. And, here we are today. And you mentioned uh, oh. blood, bo- the red hold on, dragon. Hold on, Owen. Hold on. No, I'm sorry. Owen. Go okay. Owen, hold on. Yeah. I, ne- I need to point out that you and I talked to Ron 
about a year ago about all of this stuff. And he said how fantastic he thought Vim had done with the project and all these things on this very show. Um, I remember so that. Your, your incredulity about the whole thing is quite humorous. But uh, I don't, yeah, anyway, dude, back, back I don't to the show. I just couldn't talking. let that go by. I don't remember talking uh, to somebody thanks. yesterday. Okay, come on. So, um, <laughs> But you, you mentioned the, the Red Dragon boa. Was that something of your own creation? Yes, I created it. That thing is just disgustingly red. That is gorgeous. So, um, but that, can you yeah, tell us kind of what's in there? I basically bred a, um, a blood male to uh, an albino female back in 2007, I think it was, <laughs> and uh, produced a litter of double hats. I tried selling some, but nobody wanted to buy them. <laughs> what the? So like, uh, gonna, which is I really think surprising, I was asking, right? Um, I mean, I think I was asking like five grand a pair, and people mm. were like, "I'm going to pay you five grand a pair for normal snakes, normal looking snakes." I'm like, "Yeah, but they're head for albino and head for blood. Nobody's done yeah. it yet, you know." Right. So yeah. I ended up keeping them all, and luckily I did, because I bred them all in 2000 and. Ten, I think it was. Yeah, three years mm-hmm. I did it, and um, produced um, three litters of of um, double het to double het, and I had ended up with two red dragons the first year. So um, I got lucky and hit the one in sixteen, mm-hmm. and they were small females. They didn't have really big big litters, and and the rest is history. I bred them into hypos to make. Um, the sun dragons, the sun glow dragons. That's nuts. Um, yeah, and um, I think I'm at the point now where I really don't need to mix them into anything else other than try to get as much red out of them now as I can. And I've got a couple that are really, really, really red, and um, I'm going to breed them back into ones that are really, really red. Hope that there's something even better in there eventually. So. Wow. Obviously, after the Red Dragons popped up, did you were all those people that were kind of bitching about you selling the normal ones come back around, or you know, no, nope. <laughs> get some sales later. <laughs> <laughs> Figures. But you know, think think about it. There's not a lot of people. You know, at the time I made those double heads, I mm. sacrificed the big albino female that I could have bred to an albino male and gotten twenty five or more right. albinos and at the time they were you know 1200 bucks a piece or something like that right you know um right. i could i i basically sacrificed to make you know I, to make these double hats by by losing the money i could have made on mm-hmm. making an albino litter and ended up keeping all of those those double hats and then breeding them later on three four years later to make make some red dragons and and other stuff too but what i'm getting at is not a lot of people would do that not a lot of people would have the guts to lose making 30 grand on a litter Mm -hmm. to hold back more snakes that they're going to breed and wait four years you know so but i figured this might be worth it and i think i was right you know yeah, you know, yeah, totally. obviously, depending on what's going on there. Sometimes you got to take a chance. 
and sometimes you got to have little projects that you do that you have to go along with. You cannot, mm-hmm. you know, nothing is instant gratification anymore. And that's it's one of the problems with this industry is that people are in such a rush. I get I get emails every day, dear Vin, I need a blood boa male that breeds now. <laughs> I'm like, do you want me to send it along with a, a gravid female too? I'll yeah, like, is <laughs> yeah. Oh gosh. You know what? I'll breed it for you and send you the babies. Yeah. Is that really what you want? You know. Or, or dear Vin, I really need a leopard boa, but it's got to be three years or older. Yeah. Jesus if I have a three-year-old Christ. leopard boa that's on the cusp of breeding, you think I'm going to just put it in the box and send it? To you? <laughs> Sure, yeah. I'll sacrifice put, my projects for you. Yeah, cool. <laughs> one, one, one guy was dead serious. He wanted a, a breeding age chondro python female. And it had to be, he told me, it had to be from the OS High Yellow line. So I said, all right, I got one. It's, it's $30,000. Yeah. It's like $30,000. Right. What did you I'm expect? Like, well, that's, that's what that snake's going to make in its lifetime. You. I'm just going to give it to yeah. you, you know. Oh my god. Oh my gosh. Well speaking of those, Funny. let's let's hop into the Condorus stuff. I know you got uh the stuff from Eugene and then um you've got a couple locality things as well, but I know, you know, you everyone knows you have them, but they don't really know kind of what you have and kind of the story behind it, I think. You know, I'm a very secretive type of guy, as you can say. <laughs> 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 I, I, I'm seriously, I seriously keep things to myself a lot of times because, you know, I'm not saying I'm not going to tell you about them. Of course I'm going to tell you about them. But I don't, yeah. like I said, with like the Corn Islands and the Hog Islands and, you know, some of these Brubos that I make, I don't advertise them because I don't have a hundred to sell. You know what I mean? Right, and right. think yeah. about it with the sure. Condros, if you get a, If you get a clutch of 10 or 15, that's a lot. You know, and if you out of those ten or fifteen, if they all hatch and you get them all feeding right away, I don't sell them until I have an idea what they're going to look like anyway. You know. Yeah. So it, it, again, I get these emails from people giving. I want an OS high yellow, and it's got to be perfect, and it's got to be yellow right now, or else I'm not buying it. I'll pay you. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know what it's going to look like. It's like okay. <laughs> you know. And if and I did, it'd be fifteen thousand dollars. Yeah, and here's, the, and here's the other catch: they're like, and it has to be a pair. I'm like, I can't fix oh. them. <laughs> oh god. So yeah, yeah, I do. I I'm I'm fortunate enough that you know in 2004, I guess it was Eugene was basically getting out of chondros, and I ended up trading him a bunch of ball python morphs because he was getting into ball pythons back then. And I traded him a bunch right. of ball python morphs for for three of his top, you know, looking right. animal, OS high yellow animals. And um, those animals produced for me and made some really cool stuff. And now I've got, now I've got their grandchildren that, that are going to be breeders that are breeders. And, um, you know, the cool thing about that whole OS high yellow stuff is, you know, I've got the family tree on one of those snakes that goes back to 1976 with Dr. Van Mirop, who, who was working with Eugene on studies of, right. of pythons maternally incubating eggs, and he was using it for cardiology on human studies. So right. I don't so know cool. the kids. Or the car- 
Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what correlation he used to, to, to do it, but um, but anyway, these, these snakes have a pedigree back to 1976, and um, so they are. They have no locality data. We don't know where they came from. We don't have the faintest idea. But over right. 40 something years of of Eugene and Trooper selectively breeding snakes just for whatever look they saw. They they came right, upon they these like. yellow sure. snakes and yeah and then they also came upon blue snakes, um, but I got the yellow ones and and I can tell you this much: do not breed two yellow chondros to each other ever. Okay. You really? do not. <laughs> yeah, do that. You do not. I, I haven't oh. okay. an egg yet from a yellow to a yellow breeding. Not one yet. And I've been doing this a long time, so. Um, oh, so now I okay. always breed the, a green, you know, an OS animal green into my OS yellow animals, and I still get yellow yellow animals out of those breedings, and okay. they grow up and turn yellow. The yellow is such a potent gene, in my opinion. This is just my opinion. You can call me an asshole at the end of the day, but in my <laughs> opinion, the, the OS high, the OS high yellow um, trait is so potent that I think that it X's each other out. I think that it creates a lethal gene with the two of them together and you just don't get strong, good babies that can get out of their eggs and hatch and do well. Again, it's just my opinion. I'm sure there's somebody out there that's going to say, Vin's wrong. I've read Yellow to Yellow and I have the best yellow snakes in the world. That's great. <laughs> Send me some. Uh, I need more, you know. I would like more, please. Yeah. Well, here, yeah. Vin, I was, I was, I was just going to say that, you know, here I thought chondros were magical beasts that didn't follow the laws of genetics that apply to every other living Stop being. Stop it. On we're going to get emails. You know, that we're going to get emails. Stop it. Well, <laughs> they, are, they are mythical creatures, but they, they do follow some, some laws of genetics. They do. I mean, it's just, just from what I've seen. I, I mean, again, there's not, there's not enough data. I don't have enough data to prove it. I haven't done hundreds and hundreds of readings to prove it. I've maybe mm. done four, sure. so, but you give up after four. <laughs> <You're trying. laughs> right, totally. Yeah, you why keep doing it? Yeah. 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 <laughs> oh gosh. So, um, but you were getting eggs and even development, but they weren't hatching, right? That sort of thing. Right, I've had eggs all develop, the they don't hatch. The so I've had eggs that get halfway and then just fail. You right. know, so. Damn. Different scenarios, hmm. but yeah, I'm working with those. I also have some uh, some nice um, waminas. Yeah, um, they're a small. To me, they're like a dwarf. They're smaller than you know. You know, it is also the Eugene. Um, the Eugene stuff is really big. They're mm-hmm. really large. Right, it's really big. And it, yeah, they're, they're definitely big snakes compared to the the, the locality mountain type stuff. And it probably has a lot to do with food. Um, those mountain snakes, the high elevation, like Wamina stuff, they probably don't run into as much food as whatever race that Eugene stuff came from. We don't know. Yeah, uh, but it all makes sense. Eugene fed the hell out of them for you know all those years, and <laughs> right, they, <laughs> sure. they just became a larger race of snakes. Even the ones They're that I raised good. myself, they end up getting big. It, it's amazing how big they get, you know. And I don't. And I'm the guy who doesn't feed the things a lot either, so. 
That's right. Um, well, but they look proportioned correctly, right? That's the thing. So yeah. you can tell. Yeah, like, they oh, that just do. gets yeah, bigger because it stays. Yeah. They don't have little pinheads and giant bodies like an overfed <laughs> snake. They have big heads, you know? They got those big dragon heads. But um, yeah. as far as care for them goes, is it any different than what you do for the boas? Or, um, you know, how do you go about care just with them? Just add a stick. <laughs> yeah, just add a stick. And there you go. Well, to me, the tree pythons, it's, the care is completely different from a boa. I mean, oh, they don't okay. like they don't like a lot of heat. That's for sure. They mm-hmm. look like a wet noodle on a branch if it's too hot. Um, you know, I had one snake building for years that was was um, made out of um, a me- it had a metal roof, so it got hot in that building. And those snakes were like my barometer. If it was too hot in there, I'd see them. Loosely coiled, I'd be like, "Well, it's getting too hot in here. I got to turn the AC on or open some windows, do something." Um, so they don't like temperatures above eighty-seven, eighty-six. I would say air temperatures, eighty-seven degrees or hotter. They they start to spoil. Okay, um, yeah. so I keep them I keep them cooler, and their hot spot is just generated by a little tiny. 15 watt light bulb that comes on a few hours a day and that is it i treat them more like a corn snake than i do a boa that's for sure and i don't feed them a lot at all i mean i feed them very sparingly it takes years for them for mine to become sexually mature i mean four or five years um right and then once they are mature the females that i'm going to breed i feed them a lot when they're hungry in the late summer or in early fall. I don't feed them in the heat of the summer at all. I feed them nothing in the heat of the summer, and I feed them nothing in the cold of the winter. I feed them just in the, the end of the summer and the fall, and I'll feed them as much as they want to eat, and then I'll put them in, you know, put the males with them to breed them because the room naturally gets cooler. But I don't, do not treat them at all like like a boa or a python, they're treated like a more like a colubrid. Okay, but that's yeah. just me. I mean, fair that's enough. just me. I mean, it works for me. Um, it might not work in in somebody like if somebody lives in Florida, that might not work for them. You know, right? It, it, or you don't have as strong I, I, of a, a change. A yeah, I just sure. You know, I disclose that to everybody that I talk to. I said, you know, what I do where I live works for me it took me it took me a long time to figure out how to breed boas regularly and that works in my environment but it's not going to work if i move to florida tomorrow i gotta start all over again you know i'm gonna try and figure out a different right, well we mentioned yeah we mention it all the time i live in colorado and everyone always says oh it's not baking a cake and i say well even baking a cake if you did the same thing where you live and where i live in colorado it, the cake won't rise here. It won't work. So it's not even yeah, in the, the metaphor, right? The baking a cake doesn't work. Altitude, <laughs> <laughs> you know? Like you should be breeding Boland's pythons. Where you <laughs> That's what you're <laughs> telling you. Do something. In a yeah. <laughs> I've actually seen that. I've seen it and yeah. taken a part in something similar. I, I don't even know that those, you know, uh, that's that's a whole different kettle of fish. I don't know if you need to get down that right. But uh, 
<laughs> and you hit on it there just kind of generally, and I'm a big believer in seasonality and all things, sort of humidity and light and uh, feeding and all this stuff. And you hit on kind of that seasonal feeding. And I know that's important to you, I think, across all the species that you work with, right? I use seasonal feeding on every single thing I have, everything. And I try to get them all on the same season. They usually don't do it. Like for yeah. example, my boas are on a different feeding season than my ball pythons, which kind of helps because if they were both on the same feeding season, I'd be ripping through rats. But <laughs> you know, right. like my like for for me, my ball pythons are feeding right now. And people are like, it's the middle of the winter. Why are you feeding yeah. right now? You should be breeding. And you see all these kids on Instagram with, look, my ball pythons are breeding, and they're laying eggs right now. I don't know how you got them to that point, but mine aren't. <laughs> mine are breeding <laughs> right. right now. The males aren't even. With- wow. Mine are totally different. Sure. My colony is totally, and it's again, it's based on my environment and what happens outside. And that's it. But, yeah, everything is on a season. Think about it. A corn snake in the wild, it sleeps all winter under mm. a rotten stump underground and, and waits for the sub-zero temperatures to warm up enough that he can crawl around and feel the sunlight and bask in the sun and then go look for some mice. And then it'll find a mouse nest and eat all those mice in a period of a couple of days. Yeah. Right. And then it'll find another mouse nest or an adult mouse or a bunch of babies and eat all of them and eat the two adults a week or two or three later. And it gorges itself for a period of about, we're going to say six to eight weeks. Okay. And Mm. then it comes across a mate and it breeds. And if it's a female, it uses all that energy it, it, it made from eating those mice to lay eggs. Then it lays those eggs and it may find, one more mouse before it gets cold again. And then and it goes back it. underground. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and the cycle starts all over again. So that corn yeah. snake may have eaten, we're going to say, 15 meals, you know. That's how I treat corn snakes. I wake them up. I feed the hell right. out of them. Sure. Right. I breed them. They lay eggs. I feed them a couple meals to get their weight back on. I let them cool down and shut down, and then before I know it, the fall's coming, and I should turn the heat tapes off, and they, they get down to <laughs> five, sixty degrees again. You know, and and sure. the, the 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 cycle of life continues and it goes on. I do the same thing with my boas and my pythons. I don't feed them all year round. If you fed a boa every week, you would have the fattest sausage stuffed snake you can ever <laughs> see. You know, because they will eat. They will eat and. And it's amazing. People, you know, I'm at the point now where people who are buying snakes for me, not mm-hmm. all of them are buying them to breed, which is really nice. You know, yeah. Because in the, right. you know, think about it. Ten, ten years ago, everybody was buying snakes just to breed, just to make money. And they were losing grasp of what I saw as a kid and being totally, you know, freaked out about how cool a snake was with the just snake. to have sure. as a pet. Right. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. they, they were enamored with the money. So, you know, yeah. the cool thing about people buying snakes now, now that snakes are more popular, because admit it, guys, snakes are really popular now. Of course. Now that snakes are more popular, a <laughs> lot of my customers, believe it or not, a lot of my customers are women who are buying snakes just because they want to have a cool-looking boa or a ball python. Yeah. 
you know? And I tell them, I'm like, this is how I feed them. You don't have to do it that way. But if you want a snake that's going to live a long time, feed it very seasonally. And Yeah, and do yourself a favor. Give it a break in the winter. Don't keep it so, so hot. Don't try to fight Mother Nature and keep the thing cranking to 90 degrees and 100% humidity. Just let it cool down a little bit. 70 at night is fine. With a heat lamp in the day to get back up to 85 or 87 degrees, leave it for the whole winter. It doesn't have to be rainforest hot. And then in the summer, feed it a little more. You know, give it a natural rhythm of life, and that snake will live 30 years, you know? Mm. Right. And the problem is people don't believe me. (laughs) <laughs> they don't they but, but wait, well, they thought you lied in the book right they but said you're right. trying to trick you. <laughs> people came up no. to me and said Ben you, you did this to, to throw people off so they don't breed snakes I said yeah you're right Aha. Yeah. you figured it out have you yes. like, what the hell Jesus try your method and see if it works better then and then you write a book about it uh, Jesus but, yeah, seasonality is the key. Snakes in the wild do not eat every Friday at 6 o'clock when you friend <laughs> bought them a, bow, a, a, a rat from the pet shop on their way home from work. They don't. It doesn't need to be they dusted in calcium and vitamins either. So, yeah. I mean, my, my male bow is if they eat 6 to 10 meals a year, that's a lot. Yeah. yeah. That's all I, they need, I, especially if they're adult size. Why do I need to feed the hell out of them? They then they don't need it. I I see that shift totally. happening with more of the feed it less. Don't worry. It will get to be very big and very impressive. And it'll also live for 20 years if you do it right. Like, you know, there's not, there's no need to pump it full of food and kill it at four. So, right. yeah. And they, they do it when they're young too. I mean, people, so many people say to me, Ben, I want a boa that gets big and, you know, I want a Cernan bow, and they'll spend a lot of money on a Cernan bow. And then so two months later, then it's puking, and I don't know what I did. Yeah. I fed it a mouse, and then waited four days and fed it again. I'm like, holy crap. <laughs> and then it puked, and then I fed it. I waited a week and fed it again. I'm like, oh, oh God. Just stop. <laughs> Leave it the hell alone for five you had minutes. It two and a half weeks, and you've wrecked it. Yeah. Yeah, okay. <laughs> you know it, it, it's amazing, and I, and I, and again, they think I'm lying to them. I'm like, just just take it easy, man. Have patience, young grasshopper. <laughs> it, it, and again, people don't have patience. They really don't, man. Nobody has freaking patience. God, yeah, it's the wrong you business to do. If Scott Eifer in the. Uh... Go ahead. What's the question? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So Scott had sent in a question. He wanted to talk about um, sort of the divergence between imperator and constrictor and how that's that's come about and the the geography. And he was really asking, too, whether there are other species that have kind of paralleled that same shift. And my own thought was, well, Annulatus and Blomberguy were kind of went through the same thing, right? We have the same sort of faction. So um, any thoughts on that topic? So is he talking about Imperator and Constrictor, how they're divided right. by the Andes yeah. Mountains? Mm-hmm. Is that? Well, yeah. you know, um, a lot of new genetic studies have just come out. And, uh, and before 
Well, well, when I wrote my back, my book back in 2000, 2006, it was published. Um, I talked about how there is a genetic barrier between the two races and how they're very different in territorial and constrictor. Um, and they are genetically isolated from each other by that snow-capped mountain range. Um, what's happened just recently is that through DNA sequencing, they've found that not only is Imperator and Constrictor subspecies, they're now considered different species. So their classifications have been upgraded from Boa Constrictor Imperator to Boa Imperator, and Boa Constrictor Constrictor is now Boa Constrictor. So instead of end, what they've also done is they've added a third race of species and that's boa sigma and that is <laughs> right that's the sigma okay yeah the boa boa sigma those were in the book are right? the boas well boa well we got to go back a step boa 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 sigma was described as a snake from the trace maria's islands off the west coast of um mexico mm-hmm. and that was done right. in 1954 and um with just a ha- literally a handful of snakes, they described the whole subspecies of snake. <laughs> and then, um, yeah, always risky. So what happened was sure. these la- the, the, one of these recent papers, and I'm not going to go into details about it because nobody really listening is going to care about the details. <laughs> but basically, basically what happened was through DNA sequencing, um, a few very smart herpetologists, and one of them I know, Dr. Boback, was involved with this last paper. Um, came to the conclusion through a lot of sampling. I mean, they they took boa sampling from from all of South America, Central America, and Mexico. They found that there's three three races of boa, three species. And Jesus. originally there was nine subspecies, and now they're boiling it down to three species. And that is okay. boa constrictor, which are all the true red tails, including Bolivian boas. And they were going to include um, the Argentine boa, but one guy okay. did a paper back in 2013 saying that, but the Argentine boas got something different. So they may be alluding to that might be, they may need more DNA sampling in that area. Because that snake looks way different okay. from constrictor, red tail snakes. You know what I mean? You can see how sure. a Bolivian, totally. like an Amarali, looks like a red yeah. tail, but just a shorter tail. Um, so that kind of sure. fits into the whole mix. But um, so they got yeah, South American boas will be constrictor, boa constrictor, um, Colombian, Ecuador, and part of Peru, which used to be Longicarda and Ortoni, are going to be lumped into Imperator. Which you can see, it's very similar. <laughs> and then going up into Mexico, Central America is all Imperator. Then into Mexico, the um, the east coast of Mexico is Imperator. The west coast of Mexico is um, Sigma, and that includes the Sonora Desert um, boas. And they came up with Sigma because that was the only boa that was described from that location within that location. So now there will be three species of boas 
whether or not people will start using that. I don't know. It's just like <laughs> I still sure. call green tree pythons sure. charger pythons, you know? Sure. I always will. Well, I mean, there's some subjectiveness um, to all this stuff, right? Subjectiveness, art, whatever you want to say. And it does seem like lumpers are kind of winning the day of late. So that's always that's, yeah. that's, you know, as a general what, trend. What you have to keep in mind is this. And I use this scenario all the time. Humans and chimps different, differentiate each other through DNA sequencing by less than 2%. percent mm. Um, yeah, totally. We don't look anything alike. The boas, boa imperator and boa sigma differentiate, differentiate from each other by 5%. So that's a huge difference. Right. But yet, right. they're still boas. And rate they of change in snakes is even, or in reptiles is even higher. <laughs> right. But what I'm getting at is. So it's even longer. It's even more. <laughs> a, a longer sure. amount of time. Yeah, I get exactly. it. Mm-hmm. They've been separated much longer. Um, what I'm getting at is these snakes evolved from a common ancestor, but hundreds of thousands of years ago, or at least 20, 30, 40, 50,000 years ago, a long Jesus. time ago. Yeah. Um, and they've evolved in very particular areas that are conducive of certain types of traits that help them survive in that environment. So, just because their their inside DNA says they're they're alike, their exterior sure. says they're not. You know what I mean? So right. that's why I breed locality boas because just like we were talking about with the Bolivians and the Sao Paulo's, they're 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 right. both boa constrictor or what used to be Amarale, which is now constrictor. They're not far from each other. Their locality ranges, but yet they look complete opposite. I would never breed. A Sao Paulo right. boa, one of those to a Bolivian sure. boa, yeah. yeah, or or even to a Suriname boa. Just because they're all constricted doesn't mean I'm going to mix and match them. So that's what people got to keep in well, mind. I think that's basically it in a nutshell. Awesome. Hmm. Well, I mean, a big part of that to me, right, that I always see in these debates is as people who keep the snakes and produce the snakes and this sort of stuff. I have a feeling people with that experience tend to be splitters in the sense that they really appreciate the differences. Whereas if you're just testing the genes, you know, it's easy to become a lumper because, well, the genes say this and I'm not seeing the snakes day to day, right? So you don't, you're not, you have less of a tendency to notice the difference that you would appreciate. Right. And, you know, people that breed birds do the same thing, you know, like eclectus parrots from, from New, New Guinea. They look different on every, every different locality they come from. So there's breeders of eclectus parrots that only breed you know, eclectus to eclectus from the same island or from the same mountain range or whatever. Um, it's the same thing. I mean, they're the, they are the same bird across their range, but they have their subtle differences because they've evolved in different environments. So it's no different with, with snakes. It's no different with boas. There's hundreds and hundreds of different types of locality boas. And we haven't even seen them all. I mean, nobody's really been the, right. the southern part of their range. Yeah. You know? Right. Oh, that's cool. The, the mind-blowing aspect. Um, it is cool. I guess the the next thing that Eric wanted us to hit on was uh, the uh, blue tongues that you're working with. And I, I think you're just working with the Indonesian stuff, right, not the Australian stuff? No, I, I'm working with mostly northerns. 
which are all, all Australian. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. I have I have Indonesian stuff too, but the, I'm predominantly northern. And that, those I've been working with since 1990, 1992 or three or something like that. And um, some of them are turning. Some of them have like a whitish look to them. I call them great white northerns. Mm-hmm. They turn like a silvery white as they grow, as they start shedding. And when they're born, they look normal, but they have like a almost like a greenish color to them. And um, <clears throat> I didn't even know I had them for years until I gave one to a friend's nephew, and he gave it back to me like two years later, and it was this pink and white skink. I'm like, where did you get this? She's like, that's from you. I'm like, no way. <laughs> yep. <laughs> that's cool. And I started breeding it back into its parents and its siblings and started making more. And and um, so I've got the, the Northerns, which I love because they're just so predictable. You know, I treat them like corn snakes, too. I hibernate them. Um, I've got um, Cannon Bar, which are the, the yellowy, silvery-looking ones. They're pretty cool. And their babies are born a fraction of the size of a northern blue tongue baby. They're born like a leopard gecko baby. They're so small. Um, I've got oh. some Irian Jayas that that came from from wildcaught females from the I guess the mid nineties. They were coming in regularly. Um, I still got those, and those those have like a pink and orangey look to them, and some of mm-hmm. them you can say are red. Um, so that's why I like them. And they remind me of the Northerns. They breed like the Northerns, too. Uh, they're more predictable. I was doing the Marukis, but I gave up on them. They would breed in the fall. I mean, what skink breeds in the fall? It's ridiculous. <laughs> it goes off everything else. <laughs> and they, yeah, they, they just would, didn't fit into the cookie-cutter mix of all the other skinks, so I ended up selling all those last year. Uh, I had the Key Islands also. I sold those, too. They just seem mm-hmm. a little nippy to me. No matter how many generations I had them, they're still trying to bite me. At least the Santa <laughs> Bars calmed down after two generations, you know? You just got to stick out those first two gens, and then they chill. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm so used to the Northerns. They're like puppies. You pick them up, they don't bother you. you know? They're really nice. You know, so, so cool. I, I got to the point where I'm like, oh, I don't, I don't like. That's why I don't have the Brazilian rainbows anymore. Those things are biting me all the time. Yeah, get the stuff that's <laughs> easy to work with. Yeah, I got yeah. you. Yeah, it's cute when you have a handful yeah. of animals, but not so much when you have hundreds, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. When you have a lot of this, exactly. So yeah, I love, the skinks are again. Skinks are my little fun project that I do, and and uh, it's something I've been into forever. And, I'll always have them. They're just cool. Like I, I kind of thought it was rare to get. I don't know. When I first started, it was almost like breeding of skinks was kind of rare and kind of out there. So I mean, and you've obviously had success with a lot of your types and localities. So I mean, uh, yeah. How are you setting them up and uh, getting them ready to go? Seasonality. Yeah, <laughs> it's I like it. it really is. <laughs> Just that's pretty much it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The seasonality. I mean, the northern blue tongues. I, I, I literally hibernate them. They're in. They're in with the corn snakes. Jeez. They're they're at sixty degrees right now. So they, I just leave them and chill them down and give them a break. And um, then you wake them up and 
put them together and they breathe. They're really easy. I mean, they can't be any easier than that. <laughs> I think what I think what happens is people people make things. People don't don't read their animals either, and people feed and keep their animals like they have a cat or a dog. Right. And these mm-hmm. the, reptiles don't require that. That's why reptiles are so maintenance free. There could be. I mean, you don't. You can you can own a, a, a skink in in your bedroom as a kid. Turn the heat lamp off and heat t- heat tape off. Put it in your closet and forget about it for two months. You know what I mean? But right. what kid in totally. their right mind would do that? They would be. They would people would think <laughs> they, they would were be in its face being yeah. cruel, treating their animal cruel cruelly. You know, I mean, so the, you need the hammock. Problem. Mm-hmm. They need yeah. the hammock and the dragon, dragon wings, yeah. <laughs> right, right. So if you want to breed skinks, just give them a seasonality and they will breed. All of them will breed, and they breed very easily, very easily. And they have good numbers of babies, too. I mean, some of those northerns I, I have will have 15 babies at a time. Jesus. Wow. I'm sure there's people out there who have had more. I know the Eastern. somebody was saying Easterns could have like 20. Real. At a time, though? Jeez. <laughs> yeah. That's nuts. Wow. Do you expose the babies to the seasonal stuff as well, or just your breeding pairs? No, I definitely do, because the babies that were born this year that I kept mm-hmm. are in a cool rack. They're not being fed. They're in a cool rack. Because in Australia, they're not, you know... Just because they're babies doesn't mean the sun shines on them more, you know? (laughs) It spares them, everybody else. Yeah, I guess. Right. Yeah. It's the same same with some colubrids, you know? Every year there's a butthead, you know, gray band or a mountain king that doesn't eat. I just put it into hibernation. Forget about it. And then when it wakes up, it eats, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Meanwhile, some some clown who's doing the same thing is shoving pinky parts down their throat and Ripping their stomach, you know. <laughs> then it dies after two years of that crap. Yeah, I, yeah, right, no. right, yeah. right. They're meant to be. They're meant to be. Yeah. There's mm. no point in that stuff. So another one that maybe fits in the same vein. I know you're well known for the the line of children's pythons that you've had for forever and a day. Can you chat about that for a bit? Yeah, I've, I've had some. Uh, I've had some children's pythons. For a long time, one the one bloodline I have came came in the eighties. I guess it was when I had my pet shop in eighty seven, eighty eight. Mm-hmm. There was a there was a customer that came in and he had produced some and he he sold me a couple pairs and and they were really cool looking and I didn't know back then I didn't know the difference between them and the spotted python, the maculosis. Right. Yeah, a couple years later, I got a, a, a pair of maculosis from the same guy. And he's like, these are different. These are, these get bigger and they're different, you know, subspecies. And sure. he's like, whatever you do, don't mix these with those other ones. The other ones are half the size. So, um, and, and he was obviously right. I mean, this was, you know, this was the 80s. Yeah, totally. And there was no book on Australian pythons back then. You know, there was nothing. So um, I ended up selling some to my friend's little brother who moved down to Florida. And mm-hmm. years later, like in the 90s, 
he was he called me and said, "Dude, I'm getting rid of my collection of snakes. I want to just give them to you so this way. I know you're going to take care of them." And he sends me a couple pairs of those children pythons back, and I'm like, "Wow, I forgot <laughs> I even had these." You know? Right. So I started breeding them again, and I started popping out these little, you know, reddish colored ones, and so I called them Red Desert Phase. And now I've been concentrating on just keeping those the reddish pinkish ones. They're really neat. I mean, they're just something cool about them. They're small. They eat pinkies right out of the gate. Those the spotted python, yeah. maculosis, they didn't eat good mm-hmm. at all. I, I had trouble getting those to eat because they probably wanted lizards, you know. Yeah, or some um, frog or so something. So I gave up on those. I ended up selling those off back in like the early 2000s. I got rid of all of the, the spotted python stuff, and I just kept the the children's python. So I've had them going through. You know, one of the females I have is probably 20 years old, and she still Jesus. lays eggs. Yeah. That's nuts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Really that is neat. cool. I, know, I, I, I sent some to Nick Mutton. I know he's got some from me, and I think he's bred them, too. He probably. I mean, Nick reads yeah. everything. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, but no, that's sure. awesome. I think the next uh, next thing we had online was uh, just an update on the book because there's been scuttlebutt of that uh, maybe there's going to be a more complete boa constrictor or is that in the works? I know it can be uh, pricey for folks trying to get a copy of the book nowadays. Yeah, the book is out of print and uh, mm-hmm. the publisher ran out and he basically ran out of books, so there's none left. Wow. And, um, so I am right now, right this minute, I'm in the process of writing the next book, which will be the more complete boa constrictor. That's awesome. Awesome. So I just that's... sent a bunch of stuff to the the guy that's laying out the book, and um, I just did the taxonomy part. That's why it's so fresh in my head, the <laughs> sigma and the parasolic constrictor. And... Um, <clears throat> Next, I think I'm going to do something about parthenogenesis. I'm ready to have to call Dr. Booth uh, about some stuff just to pick his brain because there's some things that uh, that have not been um, discussed in detail in his publications. Um, not like I want to disclose things that he hasn't published yet. I just want to make sure that I reiterate the proper knowledge and not sound foolish. So I'll talk to him one day this week. and. Uh, <clears throat> Well, he's listening now. I can guarantee it because he's yeah. On he's, a, been, he's, on oh, yeah. he's been present in the chat. He's been every time you oh, say right. something, he like he like throws a paper out that like confirms you know it. that confirms it. He says, Good confirms job, it. You know? he's, just, he's, he's chucking scientific papers out he's there. The and like, All right, police, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he's there. He, well, Doctor Booth is always nearby. Right. So well, that, I'll, that's I'll, awesome. But now he knows I'm going to talk to him. I'm sure he's happy about that. The book is going to be more complete in that the the taxonomy section will be um, not – I'm going to believe it or not, I'm going to leave – I want to leave the old taxonomy section in there because it goes into detail about every subspecies of boa and where they're from. And then I want to disclose with the new section on taxonomy on what is currently going on and how everything is being lumped into the three species. Because um, mm-hmm. I think people need to know. You still need to know about the others. It's not like those are gone now. Sure. You know, right. So um, that mm-hmm. that 
that'll be one major change in the book. And the other changes are going to be all updated photos and also updates on new morphs that have popped up, uh, or I should say that have been created in the last, I mean, that, but the, the last time that book was printed out was 2006. So, you know, it's a long time ago. A lot has yeah. happened in the, in the last um, bunch of years. So um, I don't know when the, the next one is going to be out. Um, maybe I'm hoping by next summer. We'll see what happens. So this summer coming up cool. in the fall. But we're working on it right this awesome. minute, like right now. And um, hopefully um, it'll be as popular as the last one. The last one uh, sold out pretty pretty good. So now you can get one on Amazon for four hundred bucks. I'm looking at one right now (laughs) for one. I'm looking at one right now for one thousand eighty dollars and twenty five cents. What the hell is that? (laughs) That, That's the bin selling, and he's got a half dozen of them. (laughs) Yeah, I knew it. Oh no, they found me. Yeah, you know, Jesus. Wow. <laughs> no, they're up there because there's not a lot, so Yeah. If if and you're going funny, through a snake show and you see that, buy it. Yeah, yeah you buy know. it. People are emailing me, you know, with soft stories. Dear Ben, my husband always wanted this book and you know, yeah. he needs one right <laughs> now and he really always wanted one for his birthday and you have it laying around. I'm like, No, I don't have any laying around <laughs> <laughs> If I knew it was gonna go out of print if yeah. I knew it was gonna go out of print that fast, I would have bought a case and left them somewhere. But I didn't have the faintest idea. I saw I saw Bob Ashley and Tinley Park and he's like, These are the last two books I'm like, That's it Oh my God! I, I told him I need a I need a, a case of books. So he he emailed me back and said, "Well, I have one left. Um, I'll send it to you." And I thought he meant one case of case. books. The case yeah. of books is you know twenty four or something. He had one yeah. book left. One oh, book. oh gosh! A so when it arrived, it's like holy shit! <laughs> Where are the rest of them? <laughs> oh my God! Well, all right. If you have a copy, hold it dear. That's yeah. Jesus. <laughs> you know, there's there's one copy out there that I had auctioned off at Tinley Park um mm. one year for um a P Jack uh, fundraiser. A P Jack <laughs> slash USR fundraiser. And um what I did was I took one of the books and I had every contributor sign it. Oh, that's cool. So, I, and I'm a fool. I should have done two of them and kept Yes. <laughs> but there's only right? one book uh, out there. There's uh, only one where every contributor, whoever contributed photographs or even papers or knowledge wow. to the book, I had them sign it. And, um, you know, like Hans Winter, the Barkers, uh, right. Rich Eiley, Pete Call, you know, all the people that gave me pictures and photos or even had anything to do with me writing something in the book, signed it, and I I got them all at um, in Daytona that 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 um, uh-huh. that August and had them all sign it. So there was the inside cover that's blank, the inside of the the book, the mm-hmm. the whole thing is covered in signatures, and I even put a piece of paper in there where I typed out every signature that's in there so they know they're in there because some of them can't read you know people have weird signatures you know right 
So there was a piece of paper in there folded up there with all the, the list of all the signatures and the dates, and that was auctioned off. And I, I don't remember. I think they got like 500 bucks for it. Well, he better have for Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this unsigned one that's a thousand dollars. It's like yeah. you know, it's whoa. But this was back in 2006 when it first came out. So, but that that book is going to be worth a lot of money. That's like a that's like a Babe Ruth baseball card. Yeah, you find that, you, <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. Some guy has that on his shelf. He doesn't even know. Uh, yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't even know who ended up getting it. But like I said, I should have done two of them and kept yeah. one. Because you know? I had all those people there. I saw them all. Well, you'll do it this time. Just do, If you're going to do it again, do two this time for the new book. Yeah. Well, no, yeah. I'm just going to do one and keep it. <laughs> yeah. And I still have the very first copy ever made because when the publisher – when Eco printed this thing out, yeah. when they were getting it printed out, the printer sent them a bunch of copies. Like, here's a co- here's what it's going to look like. And yeah. Eco right. sent me one. I still it's right on my desk. I still have I've had it <laughs> since. And inside it says one of one. I wrote That's on awesome. It. One, <laughs> one of one. <laughs> that is awesome. That is great. Yeah. I love that. Well, all right. Thanks so, so much, else, man. I, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Owen has some final questions. Yeah. Final closing yeah, questions. It, yeah. All right. Well, uh, then these are the 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 fun ones that we kind of just throw out there for you. Um, and that is, if you could keep any reptile without limitations, whether they be price or legality, what would it be and why? You know, when I was a kid, mm. my best buddy and I had a trio of um, Indian pythons. I wish I could have those again. <laughs> All right. Well, why? Why? Well, I already know, but why the Indian pythons? You know, it's just like before we were talking about retics and berms and. You know, when I was a kid, that that's what I got started on mostly as yeah. far as making some money and realizing that this could be a business for myself. I was breeding, me and my friend Will Ahrens were breeding Burmese pythons, and we were mm-hmm. making some money at it. And he and I had, um, we had a trio of those Indian pythons. This is a long time ago. I mean, we get, he, got the, he got the first pair of them from a pet shop back in the early 80s and then later on we ended up getting two or three more from another pet shop that and these are all snakes that came in when they were legal at one time i guess you mm-hmm. know before they were appendix one my friend will um he ended up getting the permits for them because at that point they had become federal and um we we bred them and got babies out of them i remember keeping a pair back and they were just the coolest looking snakes. They looked like little, they were smaller than berms. They didn't get as big yes. as berms, which was nice. Yeah, I mean, Eric has one, a few that I've yeah, played with. The biggest with. one we had was maybe 10 feet or a little bit more. And considering, again, we had berms that were that big in a year, you know. Um, but they were smaller. They were a little bit more manageable. They, they had smaller clutches of eggs, bigger eggs, um, bigger babies. 
they were just the coolest thing, and I wish I could have them again, but those days are gone. I think Tom Crutchfield still breeds those. I think he still has some. I think I think he still has some. I don't I don't yeah. know. I haven't. Uh, I don't know of anybody else that does. And the ones that I had all were just lost to culture. I mean, they're gone. Mm-hmm. And um, back in 2004, we couldn't keep um, in New York. We couldn't keep retics and and berms and all that stuff anymore. And I didn't have any berms at that. I got rid of the berms in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had to get rid of my my retics and I had dwarf retics and I can I wish I could have those again. Uh, I had the the Kiawati dwarf retics I got from yeah right. yeah and he he sent me pictures of a, a female wrapped on eggs with a dollar bill next to it and the dollar bill yeah. covered the snake. yeah I mean oh that's my God. the Dr Murdoch yeah. were those the Dr Murdoch snakes those were fabulous. Well, he, he called them. That? They were from Kiawati Island and I think some ended okay. up with. Um, Dr. Murdoch, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, I so, think he was the first to produce out of those, those ones. Yeah. That's cool. All right. Yeah. All and, right. You know, I, I bred those, too. They were easy. Well, I can't say they were easy, but they bred, <laughs> and they produced eggs, and they hatched, and the babies were small, and they were beautiful. I mean, I love that stuff. That's great. All right. So the next one would be uh, if you could go and herp Anywhere in the world, where would you go and what would you be hoping to find? Huh. Well, you know, I am the luckiest boy in the world because I've been <laughs> all over the world. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I didn't want to. I I didn't want to grow up yeah. and be one of those people that says, "I wish I did this. I wish I did that. I wish I did this." I've been to Australia. I've been to South America. I've been to Europe. I've been to. I mean, I've been all over, and luckily enough, I have, and, I, and I've mm-hmm. got a wife that, that supports that. She went with me. So as far as anywhere I do, I, uh, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe, <laughs> maybe like I said before, the southern part of the Boa Constrictor Range, maybe somewhere down in uh, Argentina and Bolivia, just to see what, what's going on down there differently. Cool. Now, would you be uh, hoping to find a wild boa or yeah, just whatever? Yeah, to see what the, what, the, what the boas look like in those areas. Because, like I said, nothing's come out, nothing comes out of there. We don't have the faintest idea what, what's down there. There could be boas down there that look totally different than whatever's in captivity right now. So. And okay. we only have two races of Amorali that are in captivity, two. There's got to be more. There's got to be something else. Right, totally. That's cool. I'd be, that'd, be, that'd be a cool expedition. All right. Well, one last thing, Vin. What is the best way for somebody to follow you, get in contact with you, if they want to chat up boas, if they want to see about purchasing a baby? Uh, how would they get in touch with you? Everybody knows that already. Okay. <laughs> 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 oh, fabulous. All right, my, yeah. my, website, my website is cuttingedgeherb.com. So you can go to www.cuttingedgeherp.com. My Facebook page is www.facebook.com forward slash cuttingedgeherp. Or you can just go on Facebook and put in the, the search engine cuttingedgeherp. If you put cuttingedgeherp in Google, you bring you right to anything that has anything to do with it. So. You can even type in Vin Russo Boas 
and that'll bring you right to anything oh, you want to find with me. Um, best way to get me is email. That whole message system on Facebook, I hate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because it's got yeah. like a lag time. And, I get, and it yells it's not at you. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and it, it is for some reason, it's like I, I don't like how it works. And, and I tell people, don't don't message me on here. Email me. It's easier to get me. And they'll they'll respond on the Facebook. Okay, I'll email you, and then I never hear from them. So it's like it's a double edged sword. I'm damned if I do, and I'm damned if I don't. But the Facebook page I like because I can post <laughs> pictures and you know put more recent stuff up. That's and that's the spot to be watching perpetually for the the special stuff, right? Right. Well, I tell people that, too, because if I have something special that I know is popping up, like I, like I was going to put on there, I'm going to put something on there tomorrow that says, it's too damn cold to ship. Why are you asking me to ship stuff? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to put that again. Yeah, and do it. It's going to say, once the weather gets warmer, I'm going to post some snakes and, and on here. And first person to say I want them and PayPal's me will get them because you know That's it, how it, it works. It's, it's just the easiest way to do it, and and, and then it seems sure. a little more fair because well, I, I, you know what else more am I going to do? I, I try. <laughs> right. <laughs> There's only so much oh. you can do when you have so many people who want to get the this limited quantity of things. Yeah, totally. Right. But it, it, it's true. But and again, I'm not being a pompous ass. I'm not. Uh, Hmm. I get a lot of inquiries <laughs> where people are like, you know, dear Vin, I always wanted a right. boa. I really like your red dragon. It's going to be my first snake. I'm like, well, they're ten thousand dollars. I mean, <laughs> maybe you should do your homework Gosh. first. Yeah, oh, Jeez, you know, and before you ask him for your first snake to be a red dragon, you know, do a little so bit more people, research. Yeah, try a little bit better. Do yeah. Their research. yeah, do their research and find out. You know, see what see what's going on. I guess and, to the to. To that point, Eric did want us to ask if you've seen changes in the industry over time, and I know we've kind of, you know, touched on and off of that topic over this time, but is there any kind of takeaway message in terms of the changes you've seen from the 80s to now, and whether you yeah, think that's, that's positive or negative or neutral? Well, but back then, we did a lot of um, face-to-face that, you know, if there was a reptile show, um, you know, one of the first, the first reptile show was in um, Pennsylvania. It was um, Leonard Knapp had that show, Pottstown, Pennsylvania show. <laughs> so do, do you guys know about that, that reptile no. show? It was at the Sunny Room Ballroom. Or yeah, the Sunny I've heard Ballroom. of it. Yeah. Ballroom. No, but I live near Leonard, there. So, yeah, yeah. A guy named Leonard Knapp <laughs> started that. That was the first reptile show ever. And it was That's probably funny. in the mid-'80s, I would say. And my huh. brother and I would go, and we would meet all the people in the industry who were within our demographic. It was I remember meeting Pete Call there, um, Brian Sharp. Um, who else was there that was um, – well, there's not too many of the guys left now. But you'd, you'd be face-to-face with people, and you'd shake hands, and you'd become friends, and you would trade snakes, buy snakes, sell snakes. Um, my brother and I had a pet shop. People would come in face-to-face. Um, people would be starving for information, so they would try and get whatever books they could. 
what's happening now is the the internet has created a lot of monsters. It's created a lot of know-it-alls. It's created a lot of people that you know think that they've done their homework and Googled something, and now they're they're, they're a pro. So mm-hmm. I like to. I'm not that old-fashioned, but I like to tell people, you know, you need to do your your homework and you need to get your feet wet and you need to understand snakes before you question, you know, somebody who knows what they're doing, you know. <laughs> so that's – and, again, I don't go on forums. I don't go on on places and put pictures and other than my own – you know, Facebook page and my my website. And you'd be amazed at the know-it-alls out there that that will, you know, like for for I'm going to give an example. I put a picture of a, a surname boa this year on my web on my Facebook page, Gravin, and I had my hand on top of her to show that she was small. Yeah, you know, she didn't. Right. Surname boas don't have to be giant to breed, and I don't want to go off on a tangent, but I just want to give this example. The the amount of of, of comments that I got on that were like, you starve your boas, you don't know what you're doing. Oh, for the That's love of God. Small oh, because God. you starved it and it's, it's got a dwarf gene in it and you shouldn't reproduce it. And, you know what I mean? Just stop just spewing. And I didn't have the heart to go on there and say, you're right. I don't know what I'm doing. I should oh, take no. This down, you know? <laughs> uh, I no, almost I wish you had cases them. of the book. Just send them the book and be like, you're right, I have no idea what I'm doing. Oh, By the way, you know, here. I just ignored them. I didn't know what to say to these people. They, 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 and, and one guy, it turns out, I asked a friend of mine, I'm like, who is this guy? He's like, he's never bred a boa. I'm like, oh, okay. I guess he knows what he's <laughs> doing. <right>. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, you know, I think the difference between the, the past and the future is going to be great. It, it, it's going to be a big difference in and I, and I worry that people are losing touch with reality, meaning keeping the animals, right. watching them, learning from them, being cognizant of the changes that the animals require, being cognizant of the changes that are occurring in the animal during different seasons, and understanding the animals, and reading, and listening, and just you know going out and meeting people face-to-face. This, this whole world of sitting behind a computer is going to implode. Mm-hmm. It, it has to because, <laughs> because yeah. people need to, to understand. Because so many people will, will wise off to me on my, on my Facebook page. But when I see them face-to-face, it's a totally different conversation. Because oh my you God. can't come across – your grammar can't come across in the way you're trying to, to, to speak it properly by writing it. You know, right, and that right. to me is what what's hurting the reptile business. It's it's not the the lack of face to face. So what I try to do to contradict that is I try to do the local shows, and mm-hmm. I encourage people, and I say to them, I can't take a thousand pictures and send them to you and have you pick through them because I <laughs> simply don't have the time and I don't want to. Sure. But you can meet me at a local show and you can look through all the snakes I have there. And you can even talk to me as long as you like, as long as I'm not selling a snake, you know, to somebody else in front of you, you know, mm-hmm. and I'll give you whatever information I have. I suggest you read my book, even though it's out of print, before <laughs> you ask the silly questions. And, and, and 
understand what's going on in, in the industry if you want to do this seriously, you know, and that's it, you know, and, and it works. Because when I go to shows, I meet people all the time, and they're all really cool and nice, and they're all happy, and they're like, thanks, Ben, thanks for the snake, thanks for the books, you know, thanks for the information. When you're face-to-face, you can see somebody smile, right. you can see somebody's expression, you can see how they how they how they're passionate like I am about snakes and how they may be about snakes and then you have a camaraderie. But when there's when there's email to email <laughs> or or Facebook message to Facebook message, you don't get your point Ooh. across properly. Mhm. That's sure. all I have to say about that. <laughs> <laughs> and that is a great way to end on that one, Vin. Thank you so much for coming on. It was a great episode, and uh, you know we'll definitely have to have you back on when you uh, fire out the the next book, and we can talk some more Boa stuff and a uh, bunch of other stuff like that. Sure, definitely. Is that obviously too guys. much to talk about? Way too much to talk about. But thank uh, you, Ben. Thanks, Ben. We'll we'll no catch problem, up with guys. you a little bit later. All right. All right, man. Take it easy. You have a good night. All right, bye. This is where Eric usually tells me that it was a great show. Rob, just saying. I know. Well, I'm. Well, believe it or not, I'm just starting the process of getting ready for next October, and <laughs> I heard actually a classic episode in which you call him out for failing to say that. You you jump into it. So I'm actually I'm already pulling clips, man, and I, okay. I just Sorry, got good. one, and that's no, the just, one. So I'm just letting you know. It, which um, totally the, the beginning of this show it's, better it be, be in your perfect. clip show. <laughs> The beginning of this show better be in your clip show, like three years down the road, where this thing that happened. There you go. Three years down the road. That's, that's the good news for me. Yeah, that yeah. is. You know, it's a start, to be sure. Uh, yeah. Anyway. Uh, totally. <laughs> Rob, uh, why don't you go ahead and throw out anything you got, and then I'll run down the Carpet Fest, the EB Morelia, and the Rogue Reptile stuff, and we will get out of here before we do any more damage. <laughs> Sounds good, man. Uh, the thing I'm most peaked about is still the same. High Plains Herp on Instagram, uh, doing a lot of that hashtag Herp History stuff, which if it's hashtag Herp History, that means it's old pictures that I have. I mean, we all are sitting there on thousands of pictures. Why not share them? I know I wish more people oh, and, uh, would share them so that, you know, then I could hop in and look at that and see other people's stuff. But that's the idea. All my stuff it's is not, secret. It's not, oh, you knock that at, off. <laughs> yeah, right. Totally. It's not, uh, you know, look at all these cool things that, you know, look at me. It's, hey, man, there's all this cool stuff that it's fun for me to look at. I would assume certainly there's some number of people for whom it's fun to look at those things. Uh, based on my lack of reach, it seems like Joe posting pictures of some stupid corn snake is about mm-hmm. 20 times more popular than, like, some snake that, most of those people probably haven't seen, but, uh, you know, that's life. That's social media. That's just what Vin was talking about. So, uh, anyway, I play in Turp on yep. Instagram. That's my most interesting thing. And, uh, I'll see you at carpet fest, buddy bear carpet fest. And <laughs> all this time together. All the, all the time. All it's a lot of Rob time. Uh, anyway, uh, what we do have for carpet fest is obviously we do have the, um, Southeast Carpet Fest is coming up, and that is February 9th. Uh, if you need any kind of instruction, uh, go ahead and talk to Ian Bissell, Pia, and Cody. It will be at Pia and Cody's house uh, down there. Um, I had something. Uh, 
the auction is live, so if you want to, make sure you go over to the Facebook page or follow Ian Bissell on his Instagram, and he will send you over to where you got to go. Uh, make sure you get on that because they're going to close that down a little bit before Carpet Fest so that the people who actually attend Carpet Fest get the last uh, say on whether or not those items are go to them or not. So definitely get on that. After the February 9th Southeast Carpet Fest, it is our turn. It is the Northeast Carpet Fest, June 8th. It'll be at Eric's house in Warminster, Pennsylvania. We were supposed to have it at my place, but you guys have gotten so big, my house can't accommodate you people anymore. So uh, we're going <laughs> to... We're very sorry for Eric's wife. Um, but we're going to have it at Eric's house, June 8th. Uh, we'll start throwing stuff out for people probably in about a month or two. We'll get all that going. Um, also, after that, we've just announced that the Southwest Carpet Fest will be July 27th at Brian Cusco's house. Um, they're going to get that information at that. All of these, if you just search uh, Southeast or Northeast or Southwest Carpet Fest on Facebook, you can find their pages and get all the information. After that would be the UK Carpet Fest, August 3rd. Uh, that's in England somewhere at a rugby club. I hear they have those over there. So yeah. um, <laughs> I have to watch what I say. They keep taking what I say and making videos. So, um, <laughs> so that, that if you are going to make that trip or if you were in that area, contact the guys uh, over there and they'll get you set up. As far as the Southern and the Northwest Carpet Fest, we haven't heard anything from them. So <laughs> what's up with that? Um, also on uh, Facebook as well as if you Instagram. Eat a rat. That's what we know. I know, yeah, maybe. Um, after uh, over on <laughs> somewhere, Facebook, somehow, somewhere, someplace. Um, so over on Facebook, we also have a new Morelia Python Radio T-shirt available for purchase. Ooh, um, it's just thanks. something we've been. We were kind of getting bugged at by a few people that we didn't have a new shirt. And Eric and I kind of remember this T-shirt back when we were getting started that just had Morelia written on it in this really Metallica like way. And apparently that's a font you can use. So we just Similar, decided to throw it out exactly there. Exactly the same. No, not the same. Otherwise, we will be sued by Metallica. So um, we kind of threw it well, out you know there that, again. You know, so. Yeah, we, we, of course, Eric does. Um, but so we threw it out there. So <laughs> if you do want to purchase that, it comes in several colors, white, green, and gray. Uh, jump on that and uh, grab it up. It's just something, a little little merch for you guys. That's uh, We know it's been a couple of years since we put out like the last Morelia Python Radio Strictly Just Us t-shirt so uh jump on that uh i'll repost the link on the pick of the weekend in the morelia chat uh later on today to tomorrow it's late anyway so uh for eric <laughs> crap i closed out all the stuff <laughs> eric is eb morelia you think at this point i'd get it down eb morelia.com he's yeah. eric at eb morelia.com you can look at him up on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. And he says here that he will be at Tinley Park, but I don't believe him. So um, mm, there's that. Questionable. Yeah, that's what I thought. thought. So uh, for myself, I am rogue-reptiles.com. The website is live. I'm still tweaking it. So, you know, be gentle when you look at it. Um, <laughs> the face, Shut up. Facebook is rogue-reptiles. You can give us a like over there. My Instagram is my last name, McIntyre. Uh, OJ, you can give me a follow over there. Uh, I really only just post pictures of snakes and my dog. So uh, that's all uh, <laughs> I got there. As far as shows, I do have one coming up February 2nd in Oaks, Pennsylvania. 
Uh, I'm going to be there with numerous pythons and uh, trying to do my new favorite game, which is uh, where, how many stickers can I get onto Port City Python stuff when he's not paying attention? So, so far it's like five, Um, but we'll see. Um, And that's all we have for everybody tonight. So I will say thank you, Rob. For once again, jumping on when we've screwed up horribly and taking us further down a road of screwing up stuff. Certainly. Anyway, I did the best <laughs> that I can. And uh, we this do appreciate you. Yeah. So and uh, to Eric, who is listening to the show, because it's one of the shows that he can listen to. Um, I'm sorry. So we'll, we'll deal with that later. I'm um, not. I'm, happy. I'm not. <laughs> so we'll say to everybody, thank you all for listening. And we're going to catch everybody back here next week for some more Merlia Python radio. Good night.